Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. I'm fussing around with things you can tell. <laughs> if you're listening, you hear me sort of like rustling papers and things like that. That sounds like Rush Limbaugh. He used to uh, rustle papers and things all over. I was looking uh, um, for some stuff here. Anyway, uh, I'm in the middle of an ongoing investigation, as they say, <laughs> because this uh, this whole pipeline thing has me fascinated. Now, of course, the regular listeners are thinking to themselves, Greg, what are you doing on a 7 o'clock Central Time? You know, around the world is different. Um, you know, this is supposed to be Thursday. This is the world's greatest doctors panel. Well, we kind of decided yesterday that the world's greatest doctors panel had run its course, that we'd accomplished what we wanted to accomplish. In fact, we went so far above, you know, what we expected we would accomplish. Um, that everybody's really happy, and of course, everybody else, and everybody's really busy too <laughs> to get the people that we had. You know, Dr. Judy Mikovits, Dr. Jim Thorpe, Dr. Ben Marble, Dr. Uh, Brian Artis, uh, data expert John Cullen, you know, the man that made the COVID map for Johns Hopkins University, um, Dr. Uh, Angelina Farrella, Dr. Uh, I'm just trying to think of pulling names out of my head now. Um, Oh, what's your name? There's another one in the middle of the day where she's going to kill me for not remembering her name. <laughs> I'll think of it later. Anyway, but all these folks, uh, these incredible people that were involved with us, you know, over these weeks and all these, in fact, I'm still getting a, uh, okay. I got a text from Judy, so I'll get to that later. Um, but all these amazing people that were involved with that, that podcast, the callers that called in, I mean, Priscilla Romans from Great Care, uh, and, and just many, many different people uh, that joined us. And we were hoping to get many more, but we're, we're still working on uh, folks like Dale Bigtree and um, Bobby Kennedy, and we're going to get them on. We're going to do it separately, though. We're going to have as individual uh, people coming on the show. Um, and, of course, we're going to get Linda Milkus back. She's the one that's writing the bill with Judy Mikovits to ban drug advertising. So the mission hasn't stopped. It's just that we stopped this, this massive panel. I only expected it to go maybe uh, two weeks. <laughs> we first started, we went 18. <laughs> so we have exceeded our expectations, you know, way beyond anything that I had planned. Uh, and so, because that's how it goes. You know, when something works, you just keep going, you know. And when it's time to stop, it's time to stop. It's like art. You know, the, the best sculptors, they know when to start, and more important, they know when to stop. <laughs> you know, okay, it's done. <laughs> you know, don't keep, uh, don't keep beating a dead horse, okay? Uh, we weren't. I mean, we just reached the point where I, I, I could kind of feel it, you know, and I'm thinking, keep going, what do I want to do? Anyway, um, there are 18 shows, and you can go back very easily uh, and find them. It was every Thursday uh, for the last 18 weeks. So just go to our main website, blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction, and you can check out the links for yourself. Now, maybe, you know, we talked about this on the show, possibly making a book of this, uh, having it all transcribed. Uh, Judy Mikovits has uh, these amazing transcribers that transcribe all her speeches and things like that as legal documents. And so, uh, again, I'm not mentioning anything that's, that's not published. She said it herself on the show. So if that happens, I'll let you know. But it'd be great to have a, a book, you know, the world's greatest doctors panel, you know, 18 chapters where they just transcribe all the things we talked about. This is why the show notes for, for those particular episodes are, are really impossible to do. How do I encapsulate three hours of brilliance of, of the amount of topics that we cover, of the things that we go over, 
you know, the, the uh, you know, plus college, plus uh, even a stalker. I mean, Judy Mikevitz, stalker, you know, from uh, from Berkeley, uh, California, who, who who tried to call. He called once. We didn't know who he was. She told us who he was after he was on. And he was, he was just spouting all this BS, right? It was really funny. And I, won't, I won't out his name. I, I know who it is. And uh, he knows who he is, too, if he's listening. Yeah, kind of funny. Um, but uh, but the point was that he called every week after that. I just never took his call. It's like, dude, you're a stalker. You're not going to get on my show. You know, There's a reason that I record everybody's phone number who calls the show. That's why. So they call back in uh, the next week. It's like, oh, I know who this is. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not getting on. Uh, and that's kind of how it goes. So if I, if I, if I, I forgot to do my live chat, so I'm, I'm doing that now. See, talking and writing. Remember, one hand on the keyboard, one hand on the mouse, You know, talking on the mic, all at the same time. It makes... A very confusing uh, show. Right, so, let's, what's on your mind? What's on your mind? And so, this is for our, our live chat. Now, live chat only functions, of course, when the show is live, hence live chat. Um, but anybody can type in from anywhere in the world at any time uh, to live chat, and especially if it's hard for you to call in. Now, we have a Skype line too, and all this information is on your broadcast page. So if you read the broadcast page, you get the phone number for the show, you'll, you'll find out all this good stuff. Uh, you can find out the live chat line uh, and Skype line. So live chat, you just make an account, free account, register in, and then, uh, you know, just in case, I, I guess that's in case you say something really, you know, obnoxious or threatening or hateful or something like that, they can go back and go, oh, you said that. Oh, okay. Yeah, we know who you are. So we don't do stuff like that here. I don't tolerate it. Uh, I don't tolerate the advocacies of violence or anything like that. Even though there's certain people we really don't, we're you know, really not fond of, like Dr. Fascist. You know, it's Dr. Anthony Fauci, and I have no problem calling him Dr. Fascist. You know, I don't wish him any harm or any evil. I, I wish him to be accountable for what he's done. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't think there's a, prison, there's a prison sentence long enough at this point in his life to have him truly, you know, repent and uh, try and uh, atone for what he's done. Uh, I don't, and quite frankly, I don't think he cares what he's done. That's the nature of a psychopath. But I can say those things because I'm, I'm not threatening him. I'm not, you know, I don't want, like I say, I don't wish him any evil, any harm, any violence. Uh, I just want him accountable. I don't want everybody else accountable uh, in the public health department, you know, all the other, you know, Dr. Fascist and the other health Nazis, you know, that, uh, that have taken um, COVID policy and tried to make it mandatory uh, health care, uh, or it's, it's more like death care, you know, for money. You know, I mean, COVID, it was basically death for money, $130,000 per death, uh, and they got paid for it. So it, when you have an incentive system that's geared towards killing people, you know, with remdesivir and ventilators, and the incentive is there from, from the very first incentive of the PCR test that doesn't test for any number of flu bugs that were really causing the pandemic um, to, uh, all the, to the not getting early treatment. You know, you, so you don't get your hydroxychloroquine. You don't get your ivermectin. You don't get the things that uh, treat uh, COVID. Uh, and coincidentally, the, the many flus that are out there as well. People, you know, that's the other reason I don't think they were well, – you know, I never thought about that until that, that they, they didn't want hydroxychloroquine and, and uh, ivermectin out there um, because they treat the flu as well as they treat uh, COVID. Uh, making the flu shot completely unnecessary. Of course, it's not unnecessary anyway. But I just uh, that's I didn't think of that till just now. All right, let me. I got to move some stuff around again. Uh, I forgot to put my mouse pad uh, across the desk. <laughs> you know, so the mouse goes on the table. Mouse pad goes on the desk. Notebook goes beside my microphone, uh, which is sitting on top of a couple of books and uh, a big planning thing. And away we go. So let me write that down. That's kind of interesting. We got a lot to do today. Uh, I'm going to be talking a lot because people are not used to the show being at seven o'clock. So my, my, my guess is that most of you are going to hear this on podcast because you're like, oh, no, what are you doing at 7 o'clock? Well, every other show is at 7, and we're going to try and be consistently starting at 7 a.m. Central Time 
And then what we'll do is Friday, of course, is still six o'clock. So Friday's the early sh- is the early show. But only being an hour apart, you know, we had this crazy schedule where Monday started at eight, Tuesday and Wednesday were seven, Thursday was at ten, Friday was at six. Well, that's possible. That's it, it worked because that's what the guests needed to be on the show. But um, now that we don't have that, we can we can pretty well go consistently at seven. So does. HCQ, and that's the, that's the abbreviation, that's the chemical formula, HCQ for hydroxychloroquine, cure flu. So that'll be another, that'll be another topic uh, at some time. Anybody wants to call me, feel free. Uh, John's going to join us, John Cullen. We've got a new report, you know, the global pandemic update with John Cullen. That's not until 9, so we've got a couple hours. So maybe I'll play you an interview. I mean, I might do that. I've got, I've got my classic uh, WBY interviews. I don't know if I've done the Fiji one yet. Maybe I'll do that one. Yeah, that'll, uh, that's, uh, that might be interesting, too. So that would be, let me see, I've got my Benghazi stand downs. I've got, um, uh, what else have I got here? Oh, my census. Oh, I got the show where we actually wrote the, citizen, the citizenship bill. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll play that one. I don't know if you've ever heard that, where we actually wrote a bill on the air. The very first time that we wrote a bill on the air with WBY. I think I have played that one. I've got my Kurt Schilling show when he was on, uh, my Dr. Walter Williams interview, Fiji. I don't think I played the Fiji show. Uh, I got my Grover Norquist one. I know I played that. Mark Meckler, COS. I know I played that. Um, and we had uh, Megan Barth. I don't think I've done that one. And then I played recently the one with Taylor Smith when we talked uh, guns and gun control and her being on the, the gun control side and me being on the, the side of the Constitution. And so it was really interesting uh, the way it, uh, all those shows went. So, we, we, you know, WBY was a pretty amazing experience. And so I, I take some of my WBY shows and make them uh, podcasts and I play them on here uh, live. And then it becomes podcast on here. All right. So the big topic. Let's, let's get to the, the real, uh, the, the big topic of the day. Um, no, I don't mean Hurricane Ian. That um, hurricanes, you know, hurricanes are like these, uh, these, these tragic deaths, you know, that we hear about, um, whether it's a, a murderer, uh, a, mass police, a mass public shooting, uh, somebody that drives, you know, their, their SUV into a crowd of people um, at, a, uh, at a parade or something like that, or the subway shooter or those kind of things, or the stabbings or, or you know, um, these things, they, they, they have like this, this coverage for, you know, a day or two or three or however long they can do it, you know, and, and you pretty much know the outcome. You already know the story. And as much as these are tragedies and they do deserve coverage and the families, you know, deserve all kinds of really good treatment, which they don't get. I mean, the media, you know, how do you feel about your, your son being killed 20 minutes ago? How do you think they feel? <laughs> They're horrified. Okay. That's not news. Right. I don't need to see that. That, that is not something that, uh, you know, that, that, that I find interesting or curious. I find it tragic, and I wish they'd just leave those people alone for a while. They're going to have enough trouble in court and uh, with everything else. Or if, if it's not investigated properly because you've got some liberal Soros day uh, and the prosecutor, like the, the man that killed, uh, oh, I forgot his name, uh, the, the kid, the 18-year-old kid, you know, he was killed for being Republican, you know, run over. And he, the guy that did it's out, you know, he's out. I don't even think he had a bail or a ridiculously low bail. He, so he's out running around free, whereas this 18-year-old Republican person or conservative or whatever he, you know, was, um, is dead, you know, and uh, that's news, you know. But I don't need, you know, I don't need to know the history of the, the, the person that did it, their name all over the place and give them the fame and everything else that's happening, you know. So there's, there's certain things. I, I don't talk about the names of people that um, – you know, that are the, the, the mass shooters. I don't, I don't mention the name. I'm sorry. I'm not going to give them fame. Fame is one of the biggest reasons these people do it. They want to be famous. They want to be immortal. So they kill a bunch of people knowing they'll be in the history books. Well, that's insane. You know, these people should be non-persons. They should be wiped from the history books. You know, person A, you know, killed this many people and you have the facts of the case. But don't give them any fame. 
you know, erase their names. That, that's, that's one of the best ways, I think, to reduce mass public shootings is to not cover the person that did it, you know, save it for the trial. Um, in the same way a hurricane, I know what a hurricane is. I, I went through it here with Hurricane Sally a couple of years ago. You know, it's very predictable. It's an, an amazing amount of wind, an amazing amount of rain. If you're within 30 miles of the coast, you know, you're probably going to get a storm surge. Everything's wiped out. Things get flooded. It's all very um, known. I don't need to watch that for three days. You know, there's, there's other stuff going on. And in a way, it's almost a cover. It's, it's a cover for other news that's happening. You know, the, the big news, the really big news is the Nord Stream pipeline and the fact that it was sabotaged and who did it. You know, the fact that nobody's, you know, covering my speculation, which is that China did it. Well, why would China do it? Well, because they, they can, uh, you know, it's like that old James Bond film. Uh, I forgot which one it was. It's um, one of the ones where the uh, Spectre, you know, the, the, the really big, the, the international crime syndicate was capturing Russian and American uh, spaceships. And what they're trying to do was start a war between each other. And uh, there was another one, too, where they had this media guy was trying to start a war between uh, China and the United States. So what they do is these independent parties get in the middle and they try to instigate war. Well, a war between Russia and the United States would benefit China or even more conflict or even more uh, problems or even a weaker Western Europe. I mean, China is, you know, out for the world. Uh, you know, the, what's that, the same from that Bond film? You know, the world is not enough. <laughs> you know, and so it makes sense. I, you know, I, I would look to China, quite honestly, you know, because as we're all distracted and as the war in Ukraine gets bigger and as Russia blames you know, us and uh, for destroying their pipeline and we blame them for blowing up their own pipeline, which of course is absurd. You know, we have this big conflict and, uh, and who wins? Well, the permanent war class wins. So who benefits from more conflict in Ukraine? Our bankers, our military uh, weapons companies, uh, the Brandon insurrection family uh, and, and the Democrat party, because they, they, they launder all the money through Ukraine, you know, the bio labs, you know, that uh, may or may not be destroyed. I mean, who benefits? Follow money. You know, the idea that Russia destroyed their own pipeline is crazy because they can turn it off. Well, if they can turn it off, you know, they don't need to destroy it. Why would they destroy their own pipeline? It's a moneymaker for them. And they get most of their, their, their budget, their, their whole balancing of their budget, I was watching Dick Morris this morning, comes from oil and gas because they're not, they're, they're, you know, they're still, uh, they're not technically a communist country, but they still are. You know, there's, there's no incentive, there's no motivation, there's no, there's no work. They're, they're still under this bizarre belief that, you know, you can force the people, you know, into being productive and create a great country. You can't do it. You can't force people to do that. People act in their own self-interest, which means money, property, which means uh, the fruits of their labors. You know, freedom works because in a free society, you, you get the fruits of your labors. You get what you produce. You get to keep, um, you know, the extra, you get to keep the profit. I mean, that, that's the motivator. And you get to accumulate more property and make more profit. You know, that's how it works. That's how a free market works. All right? Now, there are other uh, you know, intrinsic uh, benefits beyond just the money. You, know, you might have a nice house on beach, you know, beachfront property. Isn't that great? You know, maybe that's what you always wanted. Maybe you want a house on a mountain. It doesn't matter what you want. Free markets are the way to get. So why in a free, you know, given that situation, look to the money. You know, why would Russia cut off their own pipeline? That's, that's inherently absurd. So what you want to do is look at the people that are saying that and, 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 and see if maybe, you know, they protesteth too much. Maybe it's in their self-interest, like this Polish guy, Sikorsky, who I'm hearing more and more about, who was uh, ambassador to NATO or, or, or the, the, the European Union or something before he became foreign minister in Poland. What's his deal? Now, for those that know the name Sikorsky, I don't know if they're related, but Sikorsky helicopters? Sikorsky was the Russian who invented the helicopter. 
Okay. So are they related? I don't know. Did Russian scientists, you know, when Stalin came to power, leave and go to Poland so they weren't killed? I don't know. It's an interesting question. But the name Sikorsky means something. You know, so I mean, these are all, these are all curious things that you, that you want to look into and that uh, you want to sort of go, huh, well, that's interesting. So I have a bunch of interesting articles. Let me, let me just kind of go through my notes here. In fact, if anybody wants to call uh, 215-383-3832, if anybody wants to speculate on who did this and why, <laughs> that's the big news. So there's some curious things. Um, so we know Russia doesn't benefit. Um, the, one of the more interesting things that I can't find out about, this is what I was, in fact, I found an article literally five seconds before we went on the air. Um, and well, I, I posted five seconds beforehand. I found it like maybe 30 seconds beforehand. So uh, the, the investigation never stops here. And this is the fact that the CIA warned Berlin about possible attacks on the gas pipeline in the summertime. And that is from Der Spiegel, yeah, and Reuters. And the reason that's interesting is because those are German publications. That's German media. Reuters uh, is like the, the German um, was uh, AP, Associated Press. It's a wireless. In fact, now that we're going into news mode here, let me play my, my uh, you know, let's go back up here. Let's get you my, where's my news theme? <laughs> Let me get you my news theme. We'll, we'll get into news mode. And now let's go to the newsroom and see what's hot off the presses. So the mystery, the mystery that I can't find yet is why the CIA, um, well, I'm getting really quiet here. I hope I'm still broadcasting. <laughs> this is a problem with not having a producer yet. We have a, actually, a, uh, I've got some, uh, some leads on that, uh, and so we may have a producer soon. But right now, and of course, no, nobody knows I'm broadcasting now, so it's just me. So hopefully this is, this is going out. You know, this is where I have to have faith. Uh, I've been trying to get decibel meters you know, on my studio screen, so I know when I'm broadcasting when I'm not. Uh, Block Talk Radio has seen fit to not uh, include those yet, but I'm, I'm certainly after those and a couple of other things. So they'll make the show a lot better, but I need DB meters. Everybody has decibel meters. So they know when they're broadcasting and I'm not exactly sure, but I'm going to go ahead like I am and, and hope for the best. All right. So there's something interesting going on. The CIA uh, warned Berlin about possible attacks on the gas pipeline. And it comes from Der Spiegel and from Reuters. Well, that's really interesting because, and what's most interesting is I can't find out any more about it. How did the CIA know? Okay. Why did they warn Germany? Why didn't they warn, you know, everybody? Why didn't they warn Russia? Their pipeline? You know, I mean, wouldn't that be interesting? Unless they thought Russia did it, which I don't think Russia would do that. Anybody with a brain in the head knows you don't destroy your own pipeline. That's just stupid, especially when you're dependent on it for, for a large chunk of your budget. Now, Trump tried to stop it. In fact, I think he had halted uh, it from going. Uh, and also, if I remember September 2nd, I think I've got another story on this too, that uh, Russia shut down the pipeline anyway. They shut down the gas. There was no gas going through it. That was part of the problem, which makes it interesting that they've uh, you know, sabotaged this gas pipeline, and yet gas is escaping even though uh, Russia shut it down September 2nd. Did they back on and I missed it? I don't know. You know, there's a lot of uh, – this is my favorite kind of story because a lot of what ifs. All right? Now, they're saying that you know, all the animal life is going to be killed around this well i don't know uh, i'm sure some but methane you know methane bubbles up from the ocean floor all the time now not in this kind of concentration obviously but it does it bubbles up it bubbles up in swamps it bubbles up from under the ocean methane produced underground you know it's hydrocarbon you know so hydrogen and carbon 
under the right conditions of temperature and pressure produce methane, just like they produce, you know, from that wonderful organic sludge of algae, mud, and everything else, um, oil, coal, and natural gas. So, now, so methane is a natural gas. It is, it's what you, you know, it's what makes your natural gas stoves work and your, your gas water heaters. That's what methane is. Apparently it makes cars go faster too. <laughs> or is that nitrous? I get confused. Anyway, point being that uh, it is an organic compound and it's going to get into the air. And of course, all the environmental wackos are going nuts right now. Oh no, there's methane in the air. Okay, well, you know, let's see if the temperature jumps 10 degrees by tomorrow. I, I don't think so. All right. uh, oh, that's the other funny thing too. They're, they're blaming you know, Hurricane Ian um, on global warming when we've had fewer hurricanes this year than I think ever. Normally by this time, there's been, what, 10? 10, 10 different hurricanes of varying strengths across the, the, the Caribbean up through uh, the Gulf of Mexico and uh, the Atlantic coastline of the United States. How many have we had this year? One. So if anything, global warming actually reduces hurricanes. How come no one put that one forward? <laughs> That's just logical, you know. If, you know, if, if global warming, if the earth is warming and hurricanes are being reduced, then that tell you, tells you the theory is full of, you know, you know what. So back to this. So I found so this is from Reuters, Berlin, September 27th. The U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, for those who don't know, had weeks ago warned Germany about possible attacks on gas pipelines in the Baltic Sea. OK, the pipeline is not in the Baltic Sea. It's, uh, it's up by uh, Denmark and Sweden, and I know that because A, I've seen a map, and B, the, the countries that reported the explosions are Denmark and Sweden. All right, so Baltic Sea German magazine Spiegel said on Thursday after gas leaks in Russia, pipelines to Germany were reported. So they already had gas leaks. Well, isn't that interesting? Well, how did they have gas leaks? Was it like a little tiny explosion, which created a little tiny leak? Then it had a great big explosion, which created a really big leak? Okay, this is the German government received the CIA tip in the summer. That's interesting. <laughs> you know, Spiegel reported citing unnamed sources. Oh, really? Adding that Berlin assumes a targeted attack on Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines. Gee, it's funny. Isn't that exactly what happened? So how the CIA know? Unless they did it. You know, I mean, it's possible. I don't think it's our interest either. Well, actually, in many ways it is. I mean, let me explore that further. Um, this is interesting. You know, now, like I say, the, the news reports are out there everywhere that uh, Brandon and Senator Ron Johnson – and this, this twiddly uh, Nylon, whatever her name is, you know, the, secret, the, the, the no, State Department person, Victoria, oh, Victoria Newland. Yeah, she's the one that I think got us in Iraq and uh, Afghanistan. She's like a big war hawk. She's like John Bolton. Permanent war class. We've got to be at war somewhere, you know, so we can make money, you know, so we can have our influence. We can feel important. We can feel powerful. You know, people are dying. We did it. <laughs> she's one of those people, right? So not sure what that's all about. And it's interesting it all came through Ukraine. You know, all this stuff. Ukraine is like the center of corruption in the world right now. You know, you, you've got a government that people really don't support. Uh, you've got, uh, we could have been out of this. Um, Dr. Peter Pry, when he was alive, uh, talked to us many times. I really miss him, too, because uh, he would have been perfect to, to go over this. Um, but he talked many times about the six points that said Putin put forward six points. I said, you do these six things, and I'm not going to war. And the most important ones was that Ukraine doesn't join NATO and the other countries around Eastern Europe don't join NATO because that's a direct threat to Russia, just like the Cuban Missile Crisis was a direct threat to us. So you don't put missiles on our border, you don't put NATO on our border, and we're fine. We don't need to go in. You know, I mean, Obama already gave Crimea to Russia. So all they're doing now is connecting Crimea, you know, on like a land bridge to the Dundas and the, and the other southeastern uh, regions of, of Ukraine to Russia. So they're sending Russia to the Crimea, which is a huge port on the Baltic Sea, which is well, which is like the other side of Europe from uh, Nord Stream pipelines. 
Anyway, so this is so again, it gets complicated and it's fascinating. But what I want to know is now, did Germany report this to everybody? Why is this coming out now? If they're unnamed sources and this is the secret CIA report, how come all the news is carrying it? So it's not so secret. Okay. In fact, it's interesting that the CIA report comes out now. I mean, maybe it came out then. I don't know. You know, people don't uh, generally take warnings, you know, that well. They say, okay, well, wow, geez, I guess there was a warning. You know, what happened? Well, they don't notice the warning until after the event. But you miss the point. That's what a warning is for. So you don't get the event. The event happened. It's really quite fascinating. Um, so I'm wondering to myself, now who could have done this? You know, could the wacko environmentalists, you know, the people that, that spike trees so that uh, loggers get killed when they, uh, the chainsaws hit a, hit a nail spike and it goes, you know, into their brain? Sorry, I'm not trying to be too graphic here, but that, that's why they put spikes in trees, to, to kill the lumberjacks. Um, the environmentalists, well, they have to have a submarine. They have to get down there. I don't know how deep it is, but I imagine it's pretty deep. I've seen the pictures. It looks like pretty dark blue water. It looks like it's a really deep part uh, of, the, uh, of the Atlantic, you know, where this happened. Uh, I don't think it's – is it the North Sea? I think it's North Sea. Anyway, so the pipeline runs from, from uh, Russia to Germany. That's where it goes. Now, Germany doesn't want to shut it down. They're getting all the natural gas from there. I mean, they're, they're, they're in energy trouble because of their wacko environmentalists trying to convert them to a, a green economy, which means you know, everybody lives in, in caves and treehouses. So they don't want to shut it down. You know, they're the ones that connected it, much to uh, Trump saying, don't do it. In fact, Trump warned everybody, he says, don't connect to the Russian pipeline. You know, don't shut off uh, American energy. Don't shut off your own energy. You know, don't get rid of your nuclear. I mean, Trump really for, you know, foretold all this stuff happening. And so uh, it's fascinating to see what he's going to say. He's like, make a deal now. Let's, let's stop the Ukraine war. Let's, let's get out of this. So um, hopefully when we have Trump on the show, I can ask him about it. <laughs> ah, wow. A lot of fun things happening. Again, like I say, nobody knows I'm broadcasting. <laughs> so it's kind of like talking to myself here, but that's okay. So uh, hopefully the podcast will reach millions of people and then uh, this will all be worthwhile. So I don't think the wacko environmentalists do it because I don't think they have that technology. Now, would they want to do it? Just to show that uh, we need green energy, you can't depend on natural gas. Oh, I'm sure they would want to do it. Would Greenpeace do it? Eh, maybe, maybe not. Sierra Club? I don't think so. Uh, but, uh, but Greta Thornburg, you know, and her, her Swedish, you know, environmental mafia over there, you know, would they want to have something to do with this? I think they'd want to, but I don't think they could. So let's rule out the environmentalists. So we've, we've ruled out uh, Russia destroying their own pipeline because they already shut it off. They're, they're not going to do that. Um, we've ruled out um, – who else have we ruled out? We have not ruled out the United States. There's every reason that the U.S. did it, especially when Brandon, Senator Ron Johnson, and Victoria Nyland Newland bragged about doing exactly this, this thing. I don't think Germany did it because they're the ones getting the gas. You know, they're the ones getting the natural gas. So why would they do it? Now, what, what, what might be interesting, and I watched a video on this, is it might be one of the other G7 countries. That would be the European, you know, G7. It would be the United States, and basically the, the, the original NATO alliance. You know, Germany, France, England, Spain, Portugal, you know, whoever else, Switzerland, Austria, whatever the, uh, I'll look at, let me find out, actually I can do that right now, let's find out who the G7 is, because I have a video that makes a very interesting case that is one of the G7 countries, other than Germany, of course, because why would they sabotage the pipeline going to them? That doesn't make sense either. So let's put G7, G, this is why I need a producer, G7 country, C-O-U-N-T-R-I-E-S, let's find out who they are. Live radio, folks, but I don't mind. G7 countries, World Atlas. Okay, here we go. Uh, G7 countries, group of seven, is an international governmental political forum consisting of, oh, here we go. This is, now, this is interesting. Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom, and the United States. 
Okay, in addition, the European Union is a non-enumerated member. So the EU is part of the G7. Okay, so now it gets complicated. Uh, let's go through those countries. Canada. Does Canada have any reason to sabotage the, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline? No. Canada's full of natural gas and, and oil. And, you know, in fact, most of Canada is uninhabited. It's kind of like a, you know, a natural resource for some 30 million people. Not bad. Canada's not going to do it. If anything, Canada was trying to export you know, petroleum to us through the, the Keystone Pipeline, which uh, Brandon and Obama cut off uh, and screwed up our economy and screwed up everything else. France? Hmm. France is the wild card, and I'll tell you why. First of all, you, you, you've got Emmanuel Macron, who's a globalist. You know? and in fact, the person who should have won, and I think the person who did win, was Marine Le Pen. Uh, and, and she is like Donald Trump. She is like uh, Nigel Farage. She is like Giorgio Mel- Meloni, Meloni uh, of Italy. You know, God, country, and family. You know, um, she's, you know, um, what, what are we talking about here? So, so Maloney is Italy first, uh, and uh, these other folks, uh, Nigel Farage is, you know, England first. He brought about Brexit. Trump is America first. And so all these patriots of these different countries, you know, in many respects, Shinzo Abe of Japan, who was assassinated um, not that long ago, you know, a few months ago, was a patriot of Japan, you know, Japan first. And good for him. Anyway, I want to go to Japan. I'm kind of curious. Anyway, so we rule out Canada. France, we don't know, because the German pipeline went to Germany, and France has their own problems with energy. Now, France is, I think, 65% nuclear energy. France, I think, has more nuclear power than any other country in proportion uh, to their population, which is really quite fascinating. Um, and because they're shutting a lot of that down, and, of course, now they're going to have to go to something else, coal, oil, natural gas, things like that. Well, who's got natural gas? Germany. You know, how have France and Germany gotten along the last hundred years? Not well. <laughs> okay. So this, now this is really interesting. You know, the history of France and Germany, in fact, the history of Europe, you look at Germany, France, Spain, and England, and the four of them have been at war for what, 500 years? You know, the Spanish Armada, Bismarck, you know, of, of Germany, Napoleon of France. You know, I, I suppose we can go back to the, 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 uh, the Norman conquest in 1066. Well, Normans were from Normandy. They were French. You know, the Britons and the, uh, were from Brittany. The Saxons were German. <laughs> so you had the Saxons coming from the, the north. And I think they, they uh, ended up being the Scottish and the Irish and, uh, you know, speaking Gaelic. And so Saxons came down from the north. This is the ancient history. I'm not really good on it. Uh, so if anybody wants to correct me, feel free. Uh, but the Saxons came down from the north and the Britons and the Normans came up from the south. And the Britons and the Normans won. And so England uh, was kind of French for a while, you know, with, with uh, Brittany and Normandy. Norman Conquest, 1066, the Battle of Hastings. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that, but it really is interesting. I've got to get my old history here. I'll think of it in a bit. Anyway, so but the point being that uh, France, Germany, England, and Spain have been at war for centuries. So who's to say it's that different? I mean, do people, you know, I mean, France and Germany are next to each other. Do they have business associations? Do they have family in each other's countries? Do they get along? Do they trade? Do they do, do all that stuff? Sure they do. <laughs> However, <laughs> you know, there are people alive who still remember you know, Germans in Paris in World War II. You know, there are people that remember the Holocaust. Uh, there are people I don't think remember World War I, but I'm sure that there are people who n- know people who know people. You know, there were, there were kids who are adults today who remember their grandparents when they were kids talking about World War I, and, and now their grandparents themselves. And who was France fighting? Germany. <laughs> okay. So uh, you figure, you know, France invaded Germany with Napoleon, and he went to Russia, which was kind of stupid because... Uh, the waiter killed uh, the army of Napoleon. And then they came back and met their Waterloo under uh, Nelson, you know, the Brit. Uh, and so, so that was the, 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 uh, the, the empire that came after the French Revolution. So the early 1800s. So the French Revolution, not after, too long after our war for independence. 
So the difference between war for independence and a revolution. I mean, I'm going off on a tangent here, but this is kind of fun. Like, I've got all this time. So I get, I get, this is like stream of conscience, consciousness radio or whatever. Anyway, so you had all these different things that were going on. So you had Bismarck was 1800s, Germany. You know, he was the emperor, emperor of Germany. He's the one that actually created the retirement age of 65. So that comes from Bismarck. You know, our social security system is modeled on Bismarck's Germany. <laughs> Isn't that special? And why did they do that? Because most Germans were dead at like 55. So you have a retirement system, you know, as a reward for people that won't make it there. That, that sounds this is pretty German efficiency. Sorry, Germany. You know, but in the same way, we copied that. So our own Democrats, you know, under Franklin Delano Roosevelt, you know, gave us a social security system where at the time most people died before they could get it. Hey, great. That's efficient, too. So, yeah, great model, guys. So the point being that these countries have conflicted. Italy, too. I forgot to put Italy in the mix. Now, what did Italy have? I don't know, the Roman Empire? You know, I mean, Italy controlled the world for, for a long time. What, 800 years? You know, and so uh, and then he had um, a little problem with Mussolini, the fascist, the leftist fascist, who they're comparing the, the conservative, independent Italy first, uh, Giorgio Maloney, to a fascist. You, you can't do that. That's like comparing, uh, and it often happens here, you know, the, the left compares Trump, you know, to Hitler. We can't make that comparison. That's like comparing, um, I don't know, let me see, Mother Teresa to Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> okay. It's, 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 an, it's an irrational comparison because the two have, have not only nothing in common, but they're directly opposed in ideology, belief, and, and persona and actions and deeds. You know, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dahmer was a mass murderer and Mother Teresa was a mass savior. Okay, so you can't compare those two. So making that kind of comparison is as ridiculous as comparing, you know, Donald Trump to Hitler or Melania, uh, Giorgio Melania, Mel, not Melania, that's Trump's wife, uh, Giorgia Meloni um, to Benito Mussolini. They're diametrically opposed. They're complete opposites. Yet that's what the left does because they keep talking about right-wing dictatorships, which I've proven over and over again don't exist. All right, so there's Italy. Japan. What would Japan's interest in this be? Actually, Japan should be really on guard for North Korea and China right now. Um, because the world is distracted. Whenever the world is distracted, things happen. You know, watch the shiny object, don't see what I'm really doing. You know, it's like January 6th. The Trump supporters were the distraction. The real coup happened under, um, under the Capitol with what I call talk, which is where all the, the representatives and senators, just enough of them were convinced not to carry forward with the mandatory constitutional challenge to the states because of the, the, the dual slates of, of electors in Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, Michigan, <laughs> You know, Wisconsin, Georgia, and uh, Pennsylvania, they were mandated by Constitution, the supreme law of the land, to have electoral challenges to each of those states, and they didn't do it. Well, that's the coup. <laughs> that's it. That's the whole coup. So the distraction with the January 6th protesters who are there to try, who are there to insist that that take place. So they had, to, they had to have them there to blame them for, quote, overthrowing the government when the real overthrowing the government was being done underneath the Congress with the senators and representatives by the members of the Congress themselves. And that would be the traitors, Mike Pence, uh, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Kevin McCarthy, and Mitch McConnell. You know, that, I believe, is the coup. And I stand by that until somebody tells me otherwise and proves it. You know, as far as I'm concerned, that's the coup. So don't watch the shiny act. Watch what's going on underneath. Same thing here. So watch what China's going to do now, uh, now that everybody's distracted with the Nord Stream pipeline and the war in Ukraine. As I believe China, it is in China's interest to create a conflict, a further conflict between Russia and the United States, because that takes out the two main competitors. So why wouldn't China? blow up the Nord Stream pipeline. First of all, they don't get gas from it. They don't care about Russia except to make, you know, shaky alliances over things they agree with and uh, not over things that they don't. So it's completely in China's interest to blow up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And nobody's looking at China except me, as far as I know. Well, let's find out. 
you know, did China blow up the Nord Stream pipeline? Let's, let's put that in my search engine and see uh, see what happens. Did if anybody else wants to do some research and call me, feel free. Did China blow up the Nord Stream pipeline? P I K L I N E S. Survey says <laughs> the Nord Stream gas pipeline blown up. Latest twist, uh, Russia, Germany, da, 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 da. So who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? I've already got that from Town Hall, Tucker Carlson, da, da, da. Did Biden blow up the Nord Stream pipeline? Yeah, it's very possible. Uh, well, Biden didn't do anything. Biden only does what he's told to do. Uh, in fact, it's fascinating that everybody who focuses on, um, uh, on, on Brandon's gaffe about um, the congresswoman who died in a car crash, and everybody's making a big deal about the fact that he said, well, where is she? Well, I mean, A, he could have made a mistake. Uh, and B, he, but he would have corrected it had, you know, had he known. Uh, but that's not the point. We know he's mentally incompetent. We know he's senile. We know his brain has uh, degenerated. We know that he is, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Um, starts with a D. You know, where, you, where your mental capacity is greatly diminished. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, see, even I have trouble with words. Dementia. There we go. Thank you, dementia. And so we know that's there. Okay. So, so why would you focus on that? You know, Fox News especially, you know, it's wall-to-wall coverage. Biden made a gaffe, you know, he talked about a woman uh, who died tragically, a congresswoman, you know, like she was still alive. Okay, that's not the point. The point is who's behind him. So if they really want to do some investigative journalism, which Fox News doesn't seem to do, except maybe Tucker Carlson and occasionally Jesse Waters, so far from what I've seen. If they, and Laura Ingram, I've got to watch her show more, but I'm usually playing guitar. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, but the point is that uh, if you want to do some real investigative journalism, you know, uh, Investigate the people that uh, let, let's get the whole White House staff. Let's get pictures of everybody that works in the White House that might likely be controlling him. Let's find out and let's find out who's controlling them. And let's do profiles on, on Barack Obama and what he does all day. Let's get his schedule. Let's get um, Hillary Clinton's schedule. Let's get uh, Susan Rice and Valerie Jarrett. And let's get uh, Rahm Emanuel and anybody else that might be involved. Podesta. Let's get the old, uh, you know, the Obama Clinton mafia. Let's find out what all those people are doing. You want to do an investigative report? And I, I can't do it because I'm here in Florida. You know, I got a show to do. But if, if there's any decent investigative reporter, in fact, this is a great chance for, for an intern. Contact me, greg at writeyourlaws.com. I'll put you on the show. Trace these people. Find out everything you can about them. Find out what they're doing. Find out what their schedules are. Find out at what point they're meeting with Brandon to control him. You know, or who are they talking to in the White House? That would be a great project. That would be groundbreaking. You know, so yeah, I got to connect with some journalists. I'll, I'll work on that. These, these are all things we'll be doing here at Action Radio uh, as time goes by. Nothing on China. What a surprise. Not a single article did China. I got to hear, did China blow up the Nord Stream pipelines? That's, that's why I put it in the internet. And, and uh, again, did the U.S. blow up the t- pipelines? I'll get to that one. I'll get to that one as well. China. No, nothing on China. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Not a word on China. Well, see, I think China has the most to gain by blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline. I really do. This is from uh, the Gateway Pundit. What do they say? Analysis, North Sea Pipeline sabotaged. And only one country. Oh, let's see what, let's see what Gateway Pundit has. Maybe you can break some news here. Uh, they've already, well, this is from yesterday. Analysis, North Stream Pipeline sabotaged and only one country benefits. Well, let's read this one. I'll add this to my list of, of articles. I'll post it on, we have a new project here at Action Radio, uh, the International News Group. And this will be a big story on that. So this is by guest post Bill Hennessy. Not sure who he is. This was post September 28th, so yesterday. It says three deep water explode. Three? I thought there was only two. Oh, that's interesting. What's the third one? See the plicans. It tells you there's more to this, right? Three deep water explosions destroyed Nord Stream pipelines under the Baltic Sea on Monday. Wait a minute. They're not in the Baltic. It's not the Baltic Sea. 
Wait a minute. I got I got to look at a map because Denmark and Sweden. I mean, let me. I got to go over right here. Hold on. Let me just lean back a second. All right. Wait a minute. All right, I got a globe just for this just particular. So the Baltic Sea is that's the Black Sea. Where's the Baltic Sea? There's Norway. There's Denmark. Uh, what do we call it? That looks like the North Atlantic to me. So the pipeline goes between Norway, Denmark. It goes between Russia and Germany. Oh, it does go through the Baltic Sea. Okay, I stand corrected. I was wrong. So the Baltic Sea is north of Germany, Poland, and then the uh, uh, the Biel, uh, the what is it, uh, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. I forgot what those countries are called, but there's a name for them. So that's what the Baltic Sea is. So you can see uh, St. Petersburg, which used to be um, uh, Leningrad. <laughs> you know, uh, or was it Stalingrad? No, Stalingrad is now something else. Anyway, so so St. Petersburg. I believe it goes under the Baltic Sea, and it goes to Germany. Okay, that makes sense. So what's the Baltic Sea? Now, the Baltic Sea is south of Norway, Sweden, and Finland. And so Denmark, so if Denmark and Sweden um, got this, then it had to have gone somewhere near or around them. I'll take a look at a map of two of the Nord Stream pipeline is, but it does go through the Baltic Sea. See, I thought the Baltic Sea was actually in the Baltics. See, it doesn't make sense for it to call it the Baltic Sea there, because the Baltics are, are down where Yugoslavia is. Those are the Baltic countries. You know, uh, Macedonia, Croatia, Serbia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Romania. Th- those are the Baltics. <laughs> you know, so why is the Baltic Sea up there? I don't know. It, it, it's a goof of nature. Let me put my globe back. Yeah. Well, hang on. I got to. Yeah. <laughs> I should play something <laughs> before my globe falls off my table. I got to let me play something here, and uh, I'll be I'll be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio Live.
dangerously cool. Okay, we're back. And let me see anybody on live chat. Nope, no one's on the live chat. Just and no one's called in on the Skype line, as far as I know. And uh, like I say, usually you have to call in a day ahead, um, so then it can be um, I can okay your account. And same thing with live chat. You have to get a live account, uh, free account, and then you can uh, type into live chat. All right, so let's let's get back to put my notes away. I don't need those for now. There's only so much room on my desk. I think I need a bigger desk. All right, let's gateway pundit. Uh, their analysis, only one country benefits. Well, let's find out what they say. So we've got here three deep water explosions destroyed the Nord Stream pipelines under the Baltic Sea on Monday, while the MSM, that would be the mainstream media, and governments reported, quote, leaks in the pipelines following sudden pressure drops to zero. Swedish-sized mollusks knew better. Yeah, so just Sweden was in on this. They keep reporting Denmark, but I think Sweden's where the, where the real action is. This is one of the three explosions measuring 2.3 on the Richter scale of earthquake intensity. That's actually a lot. You can feel that. Okay, I'm, I'm well-versed in earthquakes, having lived in San Francisco for 30 years. And so uh, I was there for the 6.9 or 7.1, depending on who you talk to, uh, earthquake in 89. And so I remember earthquake, you know, you can feel two on the Richter scale, three, four. You know, it, it's really about four where you start getting excited. Six is huge because <laughs> each one is, is a thousand times greater. You know, so it's a, so it's a, it's a, what, it's, not a, it's a logarithmic scale. It's not a direct scale. And so, you know, three isn't, uh, you know, one time greater than two. You know, three is like a thousand times greater than two. So 2.3 makes a difference. So that, that's a sizable uh, explosion. If you can measure 2.3 on the Richter scale, that's a pretty big explosion. Anyway, on the Richter scale of earthquake intensity, but this was no earthquake. It was an explosion like a gigantic undersea mine. Oh, isn't that interesting? Okay. And this is by Reuters again. Bjorn Lund, seismologist at the Swedish National Seismic Network and Uppsala University, said seismic data gathered by him and Nordic colleagues showed that the explosions took place in the water and not in the rock under the seabed. Took place in the water. See, the water is key, okay? Because if you're going to do it in the rock, you've you got to actually place it in the rock. And that's hard to do under, under thousands of feet of ocean, okay? So anyway, um, Pianki's found us, and so uh, he has realized, uh, I guess, at some point that, yeah, we're broadcasting live. I changed the hours, and the doctor panel uh, has gone for now. Good morning, Pianchi. Good morning, Mr. Pinglis. How are you, sir? Oh, fine. Call me Greg, please. We, we've been introduced. We've been talking for a while. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so uh, I, I changed the doctor's panel. I sort of uh, put it on hold. I talked to the folks yesterday, and we kind of figured we'd, we'd run our course. And so there really wasn't a lot we could do right now. And they were, a lot of these folks are busy with other things and elections coming up and stuff's going on. And uh, so we're going to hold that off. So back to seven o'clock, you know, for all our shows are at seven now, except uh, Friday, which is at six. So who do you think blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? Got any theories? I don't know. Maybe it was a Ukraine black ops crew, you think? That's interesting. That never occurred to me. Let me add that to my list of possibilities. What makes you say that? Well, a war. Okay, but does Ukraine and have a submarine? It's seems like nothing is off limits at, almost at this point. You know, you made mention about Crimea. I agree with Russia having uh, possession of Crimea because it's the entry to uh, it's Black Sea fleet. Uh, well, that's why they want it. They've always wanted that. Uh, but Obama gave it to him, and he's not getting any criticism. So everybody criticizes uh, you know, Trump for everything he does. No one criticizes Brandon, nor do they criticize Obama. The reason that Russia's in Crimea is because of Obama. 
you know, so all they're doing is connecting the land of Crimea to they've got a connection through the Dundas region, which is ethnically Russian and supportive of Russia anyway. In fact, I think there's a referendum going on uh, to decide if they want to be part of Russia. You know, they're just connecting the land bridge uh, to the Crimea to Russia. So they don't have to worry about Ukraine. They can go through what, what would then be Russian territory. And it's not that much of Ukraine. It's maybe like a tenth of it. It's not a big section. Yeah, granted, I, want to, I wouldn't want to lose a tenth of the United States. Well, unless maybe we took the liberal part. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, compared to losing your whole country, you know, maybe it's land for peace. <laughs> I don't know. But it's an interesting thought. So Ukraine, let's see. Now, what would Ukraine gain, gain by that? First of all, if they did it, I think it would be very traceable. See, this is the problem. If you're going to do it, you know, you gotta, you gotta hide. You gotta have the capability to do it, and then you have to hide that you did it. So not only do you have to have the capability to do it, you've got to have the ability to change news reports, you know, cover up stuff, pay people off, um, you know, have a submarine that can go there and then get away from there undetected. So they have to have a fairly long time underwater. There's only a few nations that have submarines that can do this. One of them is France, by the way, who <laughs> I was talking about earlier. So uh, Ukraine, uh, I don't think they're upset by this because they don't get their gas from them anyway. I don't know where they get their gas from. That'd be something interesting to look up. Where, where does Ukraine get their energy from? Do you know? well, these type of actions really don't make no sense unless it's some monetary gains to be made. That's so you know that pipeline was in existence at the same time that the U.S. was uh, probably delivering LPG to Germany, so I. That'd be liquid petroleum gas for, for those that uh, don't don't do acronyms well, like me. Um, well, it's interesting, you know. And in fact, we used to export uh, to Western Europe, and we might have exported to Eastern Europe back when Trump was, uh, you know, during his first term, uh, before it got stolen. Uh, second term, uh, they were uh, they, we were exporting energy and lots of it. You know, and it, isn't it interesting that, uh, I mean, it could be the Brandon insurrection because the Brandon insurrection has cut energy all over the place. Maybe they're so wacko with their green energy idiots that they think uh, that not only should they cut off our Keystone pipeline, cut off all the other pipelines, cut off our refineries, cut off our, our drilling and supply, you know, cut off the transportation, shut down the, the trucking and do everything else they can to completely stop energy from getting anywhere or make it so prohibitively expensive, you know, after the election, uh, maybe that uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the wackos in the Brandon insurrection uh, did this simply because they want to get rid of all the energy uh, that is not uh, wind, solar, and whatever they approve of. It makes, I mean, they're doing that with, uh, Brandon, well, he's Brandon not doing is, it. Uh, if he's behind that, he's overstepping his bounds. Why is he well, going out uh, attempting to create international disturbances that could lead into a loss of lives and property. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting question, but they are trying to cut off our energy, and he's trying to get rid of the strategic petroleum reserve. I mean, it's already down a third. You know, we've only got two-thirds of it left. I mean, this would be exactly the, uh, you know, if we had a major war, that's when we'd need it, <laughs> you know, and they're getting rid of it. And they're, they're, they're selling off our oil to benefit his campaign to artificially lower the price. See, I think that should be looked at as a campaign expense. You know, every dollar that they make selling, you know, our oil, our tax for taxpayer paid oil from the strategic petroleum reserve, that should be listed as a campaign expense. That should be part of the federal elections committee. In fact, I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking of doing that, of reporting that. Say, wait a minute, isn't this an election expense? Isn't this a campaign expense? 
you know, so we'll look at that later. But yeah, they're trying to starve us of energy. So why wouldn't they starve Europe too and force them to be, you know, wind, solar, and the so-called renewables? Even though we have enough organic fuel to, to power us for, you know, what, a couple hundred years? By then we'll have hydrogen fuel. We have enough oil, natural gas, and coal to power us until we have hydrogen fuel cells. You know, and those are those are coming someday, but they're, they're in the works. But uh, anyway, let's go back to this article, Gateway Pundit. Bjorn Lund, seismologist at Swedish National Laboratory, uh, said seismic data gathered by him and Nordic colleagues showed that the explosions took place in the water and not in the rock underneath. So these were, this is why the, the, it could have been a mine, because ocean mines can be set at certain depths and they can blow up, like, a, like an overhead nuclear explosion creating an EMP. It says the explosions guarantee Germany and the EU, that's the European Union, won't go wobbly with regard to sanctions against Russian energy imports. Well, that's interesting. The damage to pipelines will take months to repair, and repairs are unlikely to begin until next summer. Even if Germany were to cry uncle, as civil unrest intensifies over lack of heat and energy, even if Russia decided to turn the power back on, the conduit for Russian gas to Europe is broken. So it's going to be a bad winter. You know, TASS reports details of the explosions. TASS is the Russian news service. So the first explosion was recorded at about 2 o'clock in the morning on Monday, the second at uh, 7.04 p.m. on the same day. So these took place, you know, quite a few hours apart. Gas leak warnings were issued on Monday at 1.52 p.m. and 8.41 p.m. respectively. Vessels passing through the area reportedly notified the Coast Guard of the seething on the sea surface. That would be the natural gas, the methane coming up. Lund argues that there are usually no military exercises in the area of the incident, which could theoretically cause damage to the pipelines. Well, that makes sense. So who was there? No military exercises in the area on Monday, but there were military exercises in the area recently enough. We will look at those exercises in a bit. And it says, so Nord Stream is dead. And the question becomes, who done it? You know, so we, the three things, means, motive, and opportunity. That's what the police use. It says, to fix a crime on a suspect, police try to establish means, motive, and opportunity. If the victim was shot in his home with no signs of forced entry or struggle, the suspects will be people known to the victim who had access to the murder weapon and reason to kill him. Take one element, means, gun, motive, gain, or opportunity, access, and the case falls apart. Scrolling down. If we bounce all three elements against the reasonable suspects, one suspect stands out. Means eliminates most suspects. Only a government with an advanced naval warfare capability could have executed the sabotage. That limits the suspects to Germany, Great Britain, France, the United States, Russia, and China. Oh, there's the first mention of China. Okay, I, wonder, I don't know if you caught the show earlier. I, I, I think China has, uh, has a lot to do with this. Because China stands the most to gain. The more Russia, Western Europe, and the United States conflict with each other, the more unrest, the better for China. Because they look stable and wonderful to the rest of the world. I didn't know China even had submarines of the nature. Uh, really? Apparently they do. Yeah, I, th- I thought they did, but I didn't yeah, know how well, it was. It's, it was yeah. speculation. Uh-huh. But also, then uh, there's other things that at uh, risk Europe. Uh, your submarine cables for communication, especially mm-hmm. Internet. That was brought up on uh, Fox News. Somebody brought that up that uh, why don't they just cut? Uh, I think it was Tucker Carlson said, well, they could easily cut, you know, the Internet cables, the banking cables, the financial cables between England or between uh, Europe and the United States. I mean, Russia could do that. So, so the thing is, doing something like yeah. this is so stupid. It, it's stupid to do because it breeds retaliation. You're not accomplishing anything. Everybody has something vulnerable. You know, it's like even in World War II, as, as, as bad as World War II was, they didn't use poison gas on the soldiers or the, or the cities. They could have, 
You know, I mean, the bombers uh, from all the countries could have dropped poison gas bombs onto the cities, and they didn't do it. So even in warfare, they, they, they had limits. You know, the, you can go to war with a country and not attack everything. You know, you don't blow up all their food. You don't blow up, you don't destroy all their water supplies. You know, there are, even, even in the most horrendous conditions, sometimes you'll find rules of engagement, even in the worst conflicts. Because the conflict is trying to settle something. We'll see what they're trying to settle. Well, let's go through the list before we get to the article. Germany, Great Britain, France, the United States, Russia, and China. Isn't that the, uh, the UN Security Council? <laughs> now that I look at it, that's, that's, the UN, that's the UN Security Council. Those are the, those are the founding members of, oh, except for Germany. But Great Britain, France, the United States, Russia, and China, that's the UN Security Council. That's the innermost circle of the United Nations. What do you think? Isn't that interesting? I think it's interesting. I think I, I think Africa's got a country too on there, but I'm not sure. Well, Africa has country. The UN Security Council. No, Security Council is the is the five founding members after World War II. So that's who formed the UN. Uh, I don't think yeah, Russia's on it. Uh, I don't think China's on it. I don't think they were one of the founding members. But it was five, so it would have been it wouldn't have been Germany either. <laughs> Germany had had kind of a tough time after World War II. So Great Britain, France, United States. Russia, and who else would have been a founder? Who else is the National Security Council? Uh, the, the inner circle. Um, Great Britain, France. Maybe Ru- yeah, or Russia. Russia was, too. Because they were allies, right? <laughs> Great Britain, France, United States, uh, Russia, and um, I guess China's in it. Well, I'm not sure. Anyway, I'll have to look it up. Let's look it up right now. Uh, you have a computer? You want to do this one, or should I do it? I'll look it up. All right, so UN National Security Council, the, 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 or the UN Security Council, the big five, the ones that started it. All right, thank you. I'll continue with my article. It says, but means also involves proximity. Chinese or French naval activities in the area would have raised flags. Geography would seem to preclude the United States, except for the fact that the U.S. Navy operates in every ocean in the world with advanced warfighting capabilities. So the list of suspects with the means to destroy Nord Stream is down to the U.K., U.S., Russia, and Germany. Well, that's interesting. Now, I've got a video um, from a different news service that, uh, that shows a French nuclear sub in the area um, just a, uh, like recently. You know, I guess they had some kind of fire, so they had to surface. So uh, well, the French outed one of their subs when it surfaced, and people went, oh, that's interesting. There's a video of it. That's on our uh, Action Radio Special Investigations page. And it says, okay, so let's take a look. It says, but means also involves proximity. All right, so there we go. So they're trying to go through a... Uh, uh, a list of, of things. Du, du, du. You oh, here right. we go. Which ones? Which China, countries? France, Russia, UK, United States. Those the permanent okay. members. Okay, so that's that's the inner that's the inner circle. That's the Security Council. And, and you now, got non non permanent members, mm-hmm. which is ten. United Arab Republic, Norway, Mexico, Kenya, Ireland, India, Ghana, Gabon, Brazil, Albania. Well, that's interesting. So they rotate. So I guess different countries rotate in and out of the ten. And there's like a different. There's another layer too. There's like two or three layers. But the Security Council is the most, is the strongest, and they have veto power. So any one nation has veto power over anything else. That's how the United States can veto. Uh, all the uh, resolutions against Israel. And, and of course, Russia and China veto things against them. 
Okay, all right. So that makes sense. Those, so those are basically the victors in World War II. Well, yeah. If you got five and two and two, two, four, two against, and the fifth person would the fifth entity would vote one way or the other. No, the vote's individual. Uh, so the vetoes are individual. So the other four members of the Security Council can vote uh, for a resolution, and one country can vote against it and veto it of those five members. Okay. Yeah, so it's a little different situation. Anyway, Chanel Rian of uh, One American News tweeted out, thousands of people in Gera in Germany, and that's G-E-R-A, against Olaf Scholz. He's the new uh, um, prime minister or president of Germany. Uh, policy and the explosion of energy and gas prices. They demand an end to sanctions on Russia and the reopening of the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. Demonstrations also in other German cities, uh, but EU media censors them. Oh, that's interesting. So this was from, what's the date on this one? September 27th. Okay. So Germany was protesting. I guess the 28th was yesterday. So when did this thing blow up? I'm trying to get a little timeline here. Anyway, so Germany's protesting because they're all, they're sitting in the place that they don't have the natural gas. So they're going to be freezing this winter. So they don't have natural gas from the pipeline. They don't have their own energy because they gave up their nuclear plants. And there are other power plants. And uh, in France right now, the biggest, uh, I think the biggest source of, of new energy is firewood. <laughs> That's how bad it's getting. They're back to the cave days. <laughs> yeah. Oh, start a fire. There we go. So I shall continue. Gateway Pundit article. So now we shift to motive. Germany has no motive to damage its energy lifeline. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Germany is highly dependent on Russian natural gas. Pianki, remember when Trump said to uh, Angela Merkel, you know, two or three years ago, don't be dependent on Russian energy. They can cut it off. Remember when he said that? Yeah. Guess what happened? <laughs> well, somebody cut it off, you know, and so this way, I mean, depending on Russia is stupid. And I explained earlier that uh, Germany and France don't have a great history. Germany and Russia don't have a great history either. You know, you look at uh, neither does France and Russia. In fact, it's interesting that the Russian aristocracy spoke French. It was the Russian peasants that spoke Russian. But France was the language of diplomacy, 17, 1800s. I think some of our founders spoke French for that reason, too, when they were in Europe, especially Thomas Jefferson. I think he was an ambassador to France. Anyway, um, so France invaded Russia with Napoleon. Germany <laughs> invaded Russia with, I think, Bismarck and Kaiser Wilhelm I in World War I. Hitler invaded Russia. Uh, I may have misspoke. Okay, so you know, France invaded Russia. France inv- well, they invaded Germany, too. So France went in with Napoleon. Uh, Germany went into Russia with Bismarck. Uh, Germany went in with Kaiser Wilhelm I, and Germany went in with uh, Hitler. So Germany's invaded Russia three times. France once. I don't know who else has invaded Russia. But Russia doesn't have a great relationship with Western Europe. There's a reason that they want all of Eastern Europe as a buffer. You know, they've learned from history. Western Europe invades Russia, and millions of people die, and they don't, you know, they're a little suspicious of that. So the fact that Germany would become dependent on Russia for energy is irrational. That's just dumb. Why would you become dependent on a country for energy that you've invaded three times? That doesn't make any sense, right? Doesn't make any sense to me. All right. Special article. Well, sure it is. It's, it's questionable. It's questionable looking at the members of the Security Council, the only ones that you would have that did not uh, bosom, bosom brothers would be Russia and China. Well, Russia, would, Russia already shut down their pipeline September 2nd. They didn't have to blow it up. They could shut it down. They control the pipeline. They just turn the valves off. <laughs> you know, and they already did that. 
So how, how come there was, there was all this natural gas in the pipeline? They must have turned it back on sometime. Anyway, so the same thing here. It says Germans held massive protests over the weekend demanding Germany pull out of, any, of the anti-Russian alliance in exchange for a return of energy. So this, this, this was a ploy, I think, to get Germany out of you know, funding Ukraine and Russia's war with Ukraine, which is mostly started by, by Brandon uh, and the leftists. The leftists started that war. Leftists usually start wars. You look at World War II, Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, leftists. You know, China, you know, Mao Zedong. You invaded the uh, Ukraine. You know, left seeking more resistance from Germany not too long this here recently. Don't know. Uh, if you want to look it up, feel free. I don't. I don't know. I know that uh, Ukraine is divided in the western half with alliance with Germany. There's, I think, they're ethnic Germans. That's where the that's where the neo Nazis of Ukraine come from. They're descendants of real Nazis, you know, from World War II. So you have East you have East Ukraine Nazis. Nazi groups. You've got West Ukraine, you know, Russian groups. Not the same way as the Nazi groups, but you've certainly got uh, you, you've got a Russian uh, allegiance and alliance, and you've got ethnic Russians in the western half of Ukraine, and they all divide down the Dnieper River, which runs through Kiev. That's Kiev, folks, not Kiev. Kiev. Don't take pronunciations from a demented, uh, you know, resident in the White House. So that's where that's what it is. Kiev's a divided city because most big cities are on rivers because that was the transportation system for, you know, a thousand years. All right. So Germany protested. Yeah, it is. It, uh, Go ahead. G, uh, Ukraine prime minister meets Germany chancellor Schultz seeking more military assistance. I knew I heard that somewhere. You'll, well, good. Good call. What's the, Germany, date, what's the date on that? What's the date on that? September. September the what? 2022. So that's recently. This then. week. This month. Oh, that's okay. So yeah, so that's when I heard it. All right. So we're now the 29th. So Ukraine asked Germany for more assistance. Germany says no. I think Germany sent four artillery pieces. <laughs> four. <laughs> we sent billions of dollars in aid. Oh, I made a post yesterday, too, that, uh, you know, if we'd taken the billions of aid from Ukraine, we could have put all of Florida's, you know, power lines underground. And nobody would have lost power in this hurricane. That would have been a better use of the money. Just a thought. For all of you that support foreign, you know, foreign uh, entanglements. Anyway, I don't know if it's exact one for one, but I bet you maybe the one side of, uh, maybe the one side of the Ukraine is uh, kind of mad at uh, Germany for not providing more equipment so they can continue the war. See, I don't think the Russian people want the war. I think uh, the Ukraine uh, president wants the war because he's totally corrupt. I think the, you know, our, our permanent war class, the John Boltons, Victoria, Newland, Nyland, um, the folks, the Brandon insurrection, you know, Obama, Clinton, they love war. You know, they, they, they always want us to be at war somewhere. You know, look at Hillary Clinton that tried to get uh, Assad of Syria assassinated. That's what Benghazi was all about. Benghazi was a gun running place, you know, arm ISIS, uh, to kill Assad. I mean, that's what that was about. And she had Muammar uh, well, Gaddafi. The Ukrainian president, yeah, the Ukrainian mm-hmm. president would want to have a power grab, same sort of power grab you see mm-hmm. that went on with uh, Libya. Yeah. After, well, it's uh, interesting. You know, for 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 a, uh, a you know a European democracy, <laughs> allegedly, Ukraine has never showed up on our map. Virtually every other country in Europe is on the map. The only two places that haven't shown up in Europe 
are Ukraine and Belarus. Belarus associated with Russia, but Russia's on our map. Russia's always been on our international map. Russians have listened to us for four years. And we're coming up on our thousandth show. Week Monday is our one thousandth show on Blog Talk Radio. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So the pieces will come together. Uh-huh. Well, we're going to figure this out. Anyway, so let's get back to the article. It says, Great Britain has also suffered under sanctions imposed after Russia invaded Ukraine in February. The British economy is in shambles, forcing the UK's central bank, that would be their Fed, to pivot back to, cor- to quantitative easing. That means printing money. Absolutely, the new government in the UK has its hands full with forming a government. It is unlikely the Brits would attempt such a caper. Yeah, and then their new uh, prime minister, Truss, I hear, is pretty much like Boris Johnson, who's, you know, uh, they're basically rhinos. They're equivalent of rhinos, you know, Republicans in name only, what I now call transgender Democrats. So they talk conservative and govern liberal. And so nothing's going to change there. It says Russia, back to the article, Russia seems to have a motive, inflict long-term pain on Europe for sending lethal arms to Ukraine. But Russia didn't need to blow up the pipelines. This is what we've been saying all morning, right? Russia controls the valves that send send or halt gas flow to Europe, and she's already turned off the spigot. Russia paid for a portion of the pipeline and expects to resume profitable energy exports to Europe once the war with Ukraine settles. Why would Russia cut off its own nose? Yeah, that's what I've been saying this too. There's no reason. Oh, here's a map. This is kind of cool. So this is where it goes. Let me see if I can pull up this map here. I'll, I'll tell you where this pipeline goes. It's kind of interesting. So it is in the Baltic. I was wrong about where the Baltic was. Let's go to Twitter. So if you hear anything weird... Um, it's, 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 it's a tweet, <laughs> you know, and I got the sound on, otherwise I can't hear my own show. You see Russia blew up their pipeline, but not Norway. You know, okay, right. So where does it go? So it goes from, looks like St. Petersburg, south of Finland, to the Baltic Sea, uh, to someplace uh, in Germany, just east of, uh, of Poland. So that's where it goes. So R- Russia did not blow up their own pipeline. There's no reason to. They just turn it off, right? Back to the article. First, the U.S. became the number one export. Oh, so that, so that leads to the United States. So what, so what are its motives? So I forgot the little headline here. So let's talk about us, the U.S. Article says, first, the U.S. became the number one exporter of liquefied natural gas. That's what you're talking about, right? Liquefied natural gas. Oh, you said something else. Liquefied petroleum, something or other. Anyway, liquefied natural gas, which has to go to very cold temperature. Because the only way you get natural gas, yeah. which is gas, to be liquid is to make it very cold. That takes a lot of energy, too. Pianchi. LPN, yeah. Yep. You have to liquefy it. Plus, you, it stabilizes it. Stabilizes it, the gas too. If you try to, plus you can put more in. When you liquefy it, it, uh, it takes up less volume than you can put more onto a ship. Exactly, but you got to cool it to like two hundred below zero. I mean, it's really cold. Yeah, I yeah, wouldn't want to be too. nowhere near a ship that's uh, got. Lit, uh, if the gas is liquefied, that's dangerous. Yeah, it is dangerous, especially if the uh, if the cooling is turned off and it starts warming to you know atmospheric temperature, it's probably explode. Get the high pressure would yeah be, yeah, yeah you they'll start jumping overboard, They're swimming. Yep, and, and that's how you know there's a problem on a, on a ship carrying liquefied natural gas. You know, it's not there anymore. <laughs> you know, anyway, uh, anyway. So, so like when time. they unload. Mm-hmm. When they unload, they have a cheater line that goes out to sea uh, away from the port in case something happens. You know, something as simple as a terrorist. A terrorist mm-hmm. could cause a hell of a disturbance there while those uh, 
tankers are unloading. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a question, too. What would happen if you ignited uh, the methane that's coming out of the ocean from these pipelines? I mean, it's natural gas. It's, it's, it's flammable. But in the environment, wouldn't they ignite it? And they don't have to worry about it going through the ocean because the flame is not going to go through the ocean, through the gas, you know, to the pipeline. That, that would be, that, that's not going to happen, as far as I know. Um, but they could ignite it on top. It's like an oil fire. You know, you have oil fires on water. The fire burns with the oil because the mm-hmm. oil is on top. You know, but uh, I don't know. Could, you, could, could they ignite that, that uh, methane as it's coming out and burn it off before it gets into the atmosphere? Well, if I'm not mistaken, I think there's been some cases where your lakes have caught on fire. Mm-hmm. But uh, because this very same type of occurrence that you're mentioning. Yeah, Cuyahoga River in Ohio caught on fire back. Uh, this was one of the inspirations for Earth Day, 1970. Mm-hmm. Was the, pollu- the pollution was so bad, the river caught fire. You know, people went, oh, we got a problem. <laughs> but this would be, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess you could say if, the, if you have a big enough leak in the ocean bed or if we seabed or riverbed that uh, that gas could catch it on fire once it surfaces, yes. Yeah. Yes, it could. All right, just checking out something here. All right, let's get back to the article. Anyway, so we got John Cullen uh, at uh, 9 o'clock, so I think I'll skip playing my interview on Fiji. we got way too much to talk about, and Piaki's here, you know. I just don't like talking if I'm the only one here. I get bored. So if I have, uh, if I have company, <coughs> excuse me, then it's much more uh, worth, uh, worth doing this. All right. So let's get back to uh, our motives here in the United States. Uh, Gateway Pundit says, first, the U.S. became the number one exporter of liquefied natural gas to Europe once Russia cut off the flow. So that was a good thing for us. German dependence on U.S. LNG, that's liquefied natural gas, is a carrot to keep German uh, in the sanction alliance. It's just a Germany. Keep Germany in the sanctions alliance. Those are sanctions against Russia, right? Uh, And it says, with winter approaching and German unrest on the rise, the State Department would have been concerned the Germans would go wobbly, reduce sanctions, cut off arms to Ukraine, even though they're not donating that much, actually, and beg Putin for energy. The loss of the Nord Stream pipelines eliminates that path to renewed gas imports to Germany. So in other words, in order to get cooperation on Germany with Ukraine to keep the war going that shouldn't be fought, that was easily avoided, um, the U.S. stops Germany from getting natural gas. Germans protest and go crazy, and, German, and the United States says, well, we'll happily make up the supply that Russia is giving you if you donate arms to, uh, to Ukraine, to the Ukraine war, perpetuating the war. That's blackmail. <laughs> that's extortion. You know, but that, that's something well, that Obama would do. That's something the Democrats are trying to put things, yeah. Yeah, the Democrats are trying to put things back together like Trump had them. So when that's done, it's going to leave a few strangling pieces out there that lead to their underlying motive. Here's something we haven't talked about. That's a good point. But here's something we haven't talked about that I had forgotten. Uh, So I'm glad Gateway Pundit reminds us all. Second, it says, the Biden family has long been tangled up in natural gas and Ukraine. Hunter Biden was on the board of Ukraine's largest natural gas company, a position that provided Ukrainian oligarchs with access to Joe Biden. Hunter who has no experience in energy, made millions from the deal, and Ukraine got, got uh, a bought and paid for president of the United States. So now, who's in charge? Did Zelensky tell Brandon to blow up the pipeline of gas to Germany from Russia? Oh, wouldn't that be interesting? I mean, who's really calling the shots here? So 
All yeah, maybe maybe Hunter told his dad to. Well, it's interesting. Well, all roads of corruption lead to Ukraine. Ukraine, as far as I can see, is the Democrats' money laundering operation. It's where the bioweapons labs are. It's where all the corruption is. And Ukraine's not a free country. They're not a democracy. They're, they're a virtual dictatorship. I mean, all the press is censored in Ukraine. Action Radio isn't there. Something aside, note, we'll probably get this uh, next week. But there's a huge protest going on in Iran right now. And the women uh, are incredibly upset. In fact, Israeli women are siding with uh, uh, Iranian women. Uh, there's a woman that was killed for not wearing her hijab properly. The morality police, much like the thought police here, but the, the mullah's morality police beat this woman to death. She went into a coma and died. All because she wasn't wearing her headdress properly, because she wanted to be a little more independent. So you think we have oppression. Now, what's interesting is that I found out just this morning that Iran cut off the Internet. Guess who's disappeared off our world map? Iran. You know, world listener map that I look at all the time? You know, that I report different countries. Iran's been on the map since we started the show. And only last week, they got taken off when, when the mullahs disrupted the Internet. Which means, as this gets settled, we have a tremendous uh, possibility. I need to make some contacts with Iran. I wish I spoke Persian. <laughs> I wish I spoke a lot of languages. We need someone that speaks Persian and English. Or Farsi, I think it's a language. We need someone that speaks Farsi and English uh, to be a go-between so we can start helping the Iranians write their own laws. Wouldn't that be historic? That would be fabulous. That, that's exactly what uh, you know, I was hoping we would do is to work with international folks. Can you imagine doing that? Helping Iran write their own laws, a new code of laws for themselves? Might be getting some people killed, too. Might be dangerous for us. I mean, Iran still has a secret police. <laughs> you know. um, didn't they just... Uh, was it Salman Rushdie? Did he get killed or... or uh, Severely injured or something. He's the one that wrote the uh, uh, the Satanic Diaries or something like that, an anti-Iranian uh, book. Satanic verses. He, I verses, think he got right. more than a nosebleed, but I'm not well, sure. Yeah. So much stuff is going on nowadays. It's hard to keep up with it, Greg. Yeah. Well, this is well, which raised the question I thought of earlier this morning. That uh, you know, rather than focus on Nord Stream, they're focusing on Hurricane Ian. Rather than focus on the people that are controlling Brandon, they're talking about Brandon's gaffe, mentioning a, a congresswoman that unfortunately died in a car accident earlier this year. So they're mentioning all the distractions. I mean, we know what happens in a hurricane. You know, people that don't evacuate who get caught in the floodwaters die. Not a huge number, but a few. More people die after the hurricane, and this was reported yesterday, uh, from the power lines that are down, from faulty generators, from driving in standing water and, you know, or driving in uh, – you know, floodwaters and things like that. I mean, th- this is what happens. Hur- hurricanes bring torrential rain, uh, extreme low pressure, ridiculously high winds, and a storm surge. So why are they reporting it for three days? <laughs> we know what happens, but what they're not reporting is who's controlling Brandon. And, and, and did we actually do this? That's what they're not reporting, these major news sources. It's kind of interesting. Let's go back to this article. Second, the Biden, Biden family has long been tangled up in natural gas in Ukraine. Uh, Hunter Biden was on the board. Da, da, da. Talk about that. Okay. Uh, so they bought, they bought and paid for uh, Brandon. So this is interesting. Now, who, who is Brandon paying off <laughs> behind the scenes? And it says, third, the Democrat Biden needs to, needs to stanch the popularity bleeding that threatens to kill. I think it's staunch. I'm not sure. I think they misprinted a word here. Anyway, Biden needs to stop the popularity bleeding uh, that threatens to kill Democrat control of Congress come November. Well, they all know they're going to lose in November. 
And I think they don't care. I, I, you know, and I, my theory is because Brandon's still going to be in the White House. The only way the Republicans in the country can win in November is if Trump comes back with a Republican Congress. Having Brandon there, having less than two-thirds majority, means that nothing that the Republicans bravely pass is going to pass. It's not going to go anywhere. I don't think the Democrats are worried at all about 2022. They're worried about 2024. And Trump running again. That's what they're worried about. That's what all the electioneering is about. They know they're going to lose Congress, but they don't care because they still have the veto uh, with the people that are controlling Brandon. So I think they've got it wrong here. What do you think? Good point. Okay. Article says, so only the United States has a compelling reason to destroy Europe's energy lifeline from Russia. See, I disagree. I think China does. Only the United States has both the means and the motive. That's not true either. China does. But what about the opportunity? So let's take the third thing. Operation Bell Pops 22. Okay. Now this I've reported. I've got several sources reporting this. So this is, this is, this happened. It's a sea power magazine. The official magazine of the Navy league reported in June on a U.S. exercise in the Baltic sea directly over the spots where two massive undersea explosions took out the Nord Stream pipeline. Gee, isn't that a coinky dink? <laughs> How about that? And we have people that are trained to do that too. Uh, it's interesting. I got a nice little picture of a, of a Navy, of a sailor in a frog suit. It says, uh, and here's a quote from AZ. I'm not sure what AZ is. AZ Military One from, from Twitter. And finally, we need to pay attention to the June article, cpowermagazine.org slash belltops-22-a-p. Guess what? I'm going to look up after the show. <laughs> I want to find out about this. In Sea Power, where the Americans brag about experiments in the field of underwater drones. Let me stop right there. What's an underwater drone? Did you hear a show yesterday with uh, Captain Tom and, um, and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Lewis? Call sign holster. I have trouble doing call sign. No, I did. An underwater drone is a drone that's operating underwater. Yeah. We <laughs> talked about drones. We spent the whole show on drones. I'm going to ask him about this underwater drone thing. Anyway, see if the mm-hmm. Marines have underwater drones. It's just when the Americans brag about experiments in the field of underwater drones which they put on exercises, Belltops 22, just in the area of the island of Brunholm. Well, Brunholm is where the, uh, that's the east, that's the German port uh, just east of Poland where the Nord Stream uh, pipelines connect. Gee, another coincidence. This gets better all the time. Sea Power story highlights new technology allowing the Navy to detonate targets from miles away. Yes, with a drone. So apparently these things detonated in the water. They didn't want to destroy the pipeline. They just want to cause a big leak. Right? It's like the theory that you don't have to kill your enemy, you just have to wound them. Because every battle soldier that's wounded requires two more soldiers to take them back. So then I take out three soldiers from the battle instead of just one. Back to the article. An additional critical objective was to continue to exercise the communication range and data transfer capability to give the operators more flexibility in mine hunting operations. So they said they were mine hunting, but what if they weren't mine hunting? What if they were mine placing? with a fuse they could detonate remotely from thousands of miles away. Absolutely. Now they got to repair their pipe. they got to mm-hmm. use carbon dioxide to purge the gas out of them so they can well it. Yeah, they got to clear that whole gas line before they can put fresh gas down it, right? Yeah, it's the same type of <laughs> same principle to use with uh, aerial refueling. In order to prevent a spark, you got to fix, uh, release, uh, leave this carbon dioxide there in the vicinity where 
the teeter comes in contact with the receptor on the plane in order to prevent a spark and thus a explosion. Well, that's interesting. And they also they... do it when uh, uh-huh. it's also used when your uh, gas turbines and power generating plants, when the time comes to repair them, you got to purge the gas out. You use carbon dioxide to do it. Yeah, carbon dioxide is really useful. We should do a show on on uh, industrial uses of, of carbon dioxide because I know they use it for a bunch of different things. Beer apparently uses a lot of CO2. So let's put industrial. We'll do that for a future show, probably next week. Industrial uses mm-hmm. of. See, you're brilliant. This is what I love having you on the show. CO2. There we go. We'll put that for next week. All right. So it says an additional critical objective was to continue to increase the communication range and data. Okay, I read that. Uh, a significant improvement in operating ranges over currently used systems. Oh, that's interesting. The, oh, let me start the sentence again. Advancements in communication technology demonstrated this year have shown a significant improvement in operating ranges over currently used systems. This provides additional standoff flexibility to the U.S. Navy in conducting safe mine hunting operations. In other words, the Navy had the opportunity to plant explosive on the pipes in June for remote detonation at the time of the president's choosing. That'd be Brandon, the non-president president. Interesting that we talked about, um, you know, these, these being mines and that they're being detonated remotely and being placed during this military operation. So we're, we're kind of guessing where these articles are going, which is interesting. And the world's largest amphibious ship, the USS Kearsarge, K-E-A-R-S-A-R-G-E, was recently in the area. Oh, what a surprise. Back to AZ Military One. Swedish government to hold emergency meeting on Nord Stream media report. Danish authorities create security zone. Da, 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 da. Here we go. An expeditionary detachment of the U.S. Navy ships, of U.S. Navy ships, led by the universal amphibious assault ship USS Kearsarge, days ago was in the Baltic Sea. This is AZ Military One on Twitter. Uh, it, uh, it says it was 30 kilometers from the site of the alleged sabotage on the Nord Stream gas uh, pipeline, Nord Stream 1 gas pipeline, and 50 kilometers from the threads of Nord Stream 2. Apparently, they're 75 kilometers apart. So this ship was in the vicinity. So you can check us out. It's all on Gateway Pundit. So go to the Gateway Pundit article. It's all there. It's all there, folks, <laughs> you know, for you to see. Now, here's what's interesting about uh, Nord Stream, the company. The company uh, is actually independent, headquartered in Switzerland. This hasn't been reported anywhere, but I looked up the company. And it says right here, so Nord Stream, secure gas supply for Europe. It's, here's our, this is our story. In 2006, following years of studies and negotiations, our founding shareholders, OAO Gazprom, now PS, PJSC Gazprom. Gazprom is, is the Russian state energy company, Gazprom. Okay, uh, EON Rurgas, that would be German, uh, and it says, and BASF. BA, do you know that company, BASF? Don't they make that magnetic tape, and don't they make other things? BASF. I'll look, I'll look them up, too. <laughs> uh, let me see where I put it. I put my BASF, BASF article. Oh, let's see behind the pipeline. Let's get away pundit. Out of all the possibilities, I cast my vote for the Nazi element in the Ukraine. Okay. And that's, that's, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, we're not, <coughs> going done, with against we're not done with this story. Decision. Yeah. We're not done with this story. We're going to, we're going to follow this through, but that, that's, uh, that's very possible. Um, but the Nazis, why would the Nazi 
elements in Ukraine, the descendants of German Nazis from World War II, why would they want to sabotage the Russian pipeline? Because it's only going to hurt Germany. That, I'm not sure. Uh, well, you got two Germanys still. You got East and West, right? <laughs> no, they, they, they've unified. No, they unified several. They unified well, yeah, they, well, then how are these Nazis still existing? These are, these are Russians. These are Ukrainians. They're Ukrainian descendants. See, Ukraine had Nazi uh, groups of the SS in the Ukraine. You know, they were rounding up Jews and sending them to Auschwitz and places like that. So Germany didn't have all the Gestapo and SS units. You know, the, the well, Nazism an ideology? Well, it is, yeah, but it, it wasn't racist. Well, then was, where would you most likely look for that I, remnants of that ideology still lingering around? Two places. One Ukraine, one Germany. Yeah, but there's more than that, too. I mean, you had Nazi... Um, Folks in different. I mean, it's interesting that you, I would look to the United States too, because you had all the Nazi yeah, uh, that's, that's just, people were were that's taken. Just a long, that's I mean, just the a CIA. Long when you get down to the heart, yeah. you get to oh. the heart of it. It's still remnants that still is going to exist in the countries where it was most prominent, in the area where it's most prominent. Mm-hmm. Russia participated in defeating them. Yeah, but you still had left-on-left ideologies. You still have, I mean, communism versus Nazism versus fascism, you know, they're all similar. They're all totalitarian leftist dictatorships. So I think they fight to see which of their leftist ideologies is going to dominate by which country wins. I mean, Germany didn't fight Russia because Russia was capitalist. You know, they didn't fight, Germany didn't fight Russia because they were an opposing ideology. They fought them because they were a challenge to their power. You know, they might have fought China had China taken over and become communists, you know, earlier than they did. I mean, I don't know. It's possible. But that's why they fought Russia. Because they had a pact with Russia, a non-aggression pact. Yeah, I'd say my connection would be Ukraine. Ukraine is uh, uh, mad because they didn't get the weapons from Germany that they say they need. Uh Uh-huh. I think but that, why would you destroy uh, a pipeline over it? They could have gotten them from other sources, too. I mean, there's all of Eastern Europe they could have got weapons from. But see, Eastern Europe's not doing that because they don't want to piss off Russia either. They don't want to get attacked. So Eastern Europe's not going to help Ukraine. Western Europe is supposed to be defended by NATO, you know, so they should be uh, immune from attack from Russia. But NATO's not that strong, and Russia has better weapons. Well, I'm, they not have modern that nuclear weapons. Participated, yeah. I'm not saying that they participated directly because, like you say, they don't have submarines. Mm-hmm. But... Um, then, then we go back to Brandon. Brandon's been supplying the Ukraine with forty billion dollars and mm-hmm. uh, weapons and so on and so well, on that's... and so on. So it would be the three: uh, Brandon, the Ukraine with uh, Zelensky, and uh, what a good reason! What a good party! Well, if you can look into that, if you want to spend some time looking into the connections between Brandon and the Ukraine. Uh, Zelensky, you know, and the possible sabotage of that pipeline. That'd be great research. I'd love to have you on, you know, report on anything you find. Yeah, and it goes back to uh, the million mm-hmm. dollars if you, yeah. if you, uh, in Bur- Burisma. So, well, see, that's would Burisma thing. be using gas coming out of the Caspian Sea? We know we had that bill here just not too long ago. So, taking gas out of the Caspian Sea, a Burisma control it, 
to mm-hmm. feed uh, gas to Western Europe. Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually a really good thought. Did uh, does Ukraine want to supply Germany with with gas instead of? Uh, so let's look at Burisma. So that's B U R. So you know uh, Ukraine. Let me down some more notes here. So I knew this was going to be more than one show. Ukraine Burisma B U R I S M A Burisma. You know, and then put uh, Nord Stream. Did they blow it up? Yeah. I wish I could write faster. <laughs> I should probably type this stuff out. Did they blow up? You know, the pipeline. Okay, so the U.S. is a motive. Uh, Ukraine is a motive. Let's go back to this company, BASF. So in researching the actual Nord Stream company that, you know, I, I haven't seen anybody else do, which is kind of fun, BASF. Now, their, their company, their headline here is Change for the Climate. Our goal is net zero emissions by 2050. How is that possible for a company in the energy-intensive chemical industry? It's ambitious for sure, but we're confident we can get there. That's because in our this over here in our pursuit of change, we're leaving no stone unturned, questioning everything that can be questioned, and finding the inspiration in surprising, surprising places. So why would the company that's that's part of Nord Stream Two says right here on, on I've got the Nord Stream uh, you know secure gas supply for Europe. So why would the comp- one of the major companies involved in the Nord Stream company that built the pipelines and supplies gas from Russia to uh, Germany um, have as one of their main corporate people, BASF, which is trying to be all green? Now I'm suspicious, too. Did Nord Stream destroy their own pipeline? Oh, there's a thought. Because Nord Stream, you know, it's Gazprom, but, it's, but it says right here, this is where the plot gets thicker. Uh, it says BASF, and, and here's another one, Wintershall Holding. Now Wintershall, D-E-A-A-G. So they got a holding company. Now, who are they? Established an independent project company in order to advance the planning and realization of an additional reliable supply of energy from the vast Russian gas fields to Europe and consumers. Europe and consumers. We have accomplished this. And in retrospect, it is safe to say that it was a decision to establish an independent power project company that helped to move this vital project forward. So Nord Stream, we all think is a Russian company, but apparently, according to Nord Stream's own publications, unless they're wrong, unless they're lying to us, which I, I doubt, I'm sure this was written a while ago, that Nord Stream is an independent company based in Switzerland. It says right here, in the initial phase in the summer of 2006, a handful of employees met for the first time in Zug, Z-U-G, Z-U-G, there we go, uh, Switzerland, at the Nord Stream headquarters. Before they could even think of how to build the pipelines, they were faced with other challenges, leasing office space, da 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 this is after six years of intensive work, the project was completed in 2012. Nord Stream will be providing Europe with a reliable supply of Russian natural gas for at least the next 50 years. But they're based in Switzerland. Well, how does that work? <laughs> so Nord Stream headquarters well, is, in, is in Switzerland. You'd have well, some, uh, it's more like a power grab. A power grab where you got people trying to push Russia out of the way. Now's the opportunity. You yeah. started a fake war with them. All resources and tension uh, supposed to have been, well, they supposed to have been toppled by the Ukraine. Then they allowed these companies to come in and take control of their resource supply, their natural gas supply, their oil supply. Yeah. But yeah. it's not working. So now they got to try another diversion. I don't know what that's going to do. You're going to uh, 
remove Western Europe off of natural gas and replace it with what? Solar? Sun don't shine in those parts of the world. <laughs> no, it doesn't. European weather is notoriously cloudy. Anybody that's ever been there will tell you. You know, the London fog is real, folks. You know, I actually got there. Uh, I was there in um, the spring of 1982, I believe. Pretty sure. Was it spring? Or maybe it was 83. I'll have to go back and check. Anyway, early 1980s. I was in Europe uh, in the springtime. Yeah, I think it was 82. I think I went uh, pretty much after college. Anyway, um, and it was gorgeous weather in England for like a week. And it's like, wow, this never happens. So what never happens? We got great weather. It isn't raining in a week. Oh, really? <laughs> so English weather sucks. Uh, and then I headed down to Greece and went through Southern Europe and worked my way back up to England three months later uh, and then came home. That was a fun trip. So here's another one for you. This is Rachel Schilke, S-C-H-I-L-K-E, breaking news reporter for the Washington Examiner, one of my favorite papers, September 28th, so yesterday. It says, since the Nord Stream gas pipelines located in the Baltic Sea exploded on Tuesday, countries have been quick to point fingers as to who is behind the unusual leaks. Germany's Nord Stream AG, which operates the pipelines. Wait a minute. Germany's Nord Stream AG, which operates the pipelines? I thought that was a Russian pipeline, even though we've just read from their own company literature that they're headquartered in Switzerland. Why do companies headquarter in Switzerland? Because the banks keep everything secret. Ooh, isn't that interesting? Swiss banks. I'm going to write that down, too. You think there's a Swiss banking angle on this? Well, you make me open my eyes. I'm going to step away for a few minutes. I'll be right back. Okay. Got it. I'll be right here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Swiss banks. Secret. So let's uh, – more to look into. This is great. I, I love doing this stuff. I'm sorry. It's just, it's just fascinating <clears throat> to ask questions somebody's you know, asking about. All right. So, well, not nobody, but very few people. Germany's Nord Stream AG, which operates the pipelines, uh, is conducting tests to assess the damage. The company said in a statement that it cannot provide an estimate for when the gas pipeline's infrastructure will be restored. In other words, when they plug the leaks. Okay. It says, while the German-operated company determines a cause, German-operated, wait a minute, Nord Stream's German-operated? I thought it was Russian-operated, even though their own literature says they're out of Switzerland. I'm confused. I, it's, you know, we've got we to gotta sort of track down multiple sources here and see if we can get a handle on this. It says, well, while the German-operated company determine, determines a cause, several other European countries are ready to launch an investigation into potential sabotage. Oh, isn't that interesting? Let's see who's not doing an investigation. I bet you we aren't. <laughs> Excuse me. I bet you the Brandon administration or our insurrection is not going to investigate this. Why would they? Because they're probably involved in it somehow. If not, they certainly favor it. Anyway, so it says Joseph Borrell Fonte, F-O-N-T-E-L-L-E-S Fonte, the European Union High Representative for Foreign Affairs and Security, released a statement on Wednesday expressing the EU, that's the European Union, concern over the incident, stating that the leaks point to a, quote, deliberate act. Yeah, of course. Duh. And are not a coincidence and affect us all. <laughs> well, it's definitely not a coincidence. <laughs> what, what? One pipeline has two leaks within, within, a, within 24 hours? from explosions measurable on the Richter scale like we went over earlier? Oh, yeah, that's just a coincidence. Yeah, random act. Yeah. Uh -huh. So here's the quote. We will support any investigation aimed at getting full clarity on what happened and why, and we'll take further steps to increase our resilience in energy security. That's Funday wrote, any deliberate disruption of European energy infrastructure is utterly unacceptable, even though it's happened, pal, you're too late, and will be met with a robust and united response. Oh, really? 
<laughs> of what to whom? <laughs> so, so what is a robust and united response? Whether well, they all can complain together, when they sign a document, that we object, we, we protest. Now, if you look on any major source of news, you'll see this enormous, what looks like, um, looks like a bomb went off under the, under the ocean, which, of course, it did, right? It's the sudden leaks in both gas pipelines from Russia have Europe warning of sabotage. So you've got this big methane, you know, foamy mass. that, that looks, It looks like a hurricane is what it looks like. You've got the trailing outer stuff, and you've got the, the white, frothy middle, and it looks like it has an eye right in the center. So it looks, it looks very much like a hurricane from above. It's quite interesting. And the article says the source of the explosions remains unclear as well. However, seismologists recorded one of the explosions at the same level as a 2.3 magnitude earthquake. And I got that from another source, so now you got confirmation. The pipelines sit – oh, here we go. This is, this is more details we haven't, uh, we haven't gotten yet. The pipelines sit 262 to 300 feet under the sea. That's not very deep. Okay? 200, 300 feet average? 300 feet? You know, that's, uh, that's easy to get down that low. I bet you there's some divers that can go that low, you know, in their special suits and things like that. That's not even a bathysphere, bathoscope. That's not even one of those little mini-sub distance. 300 feet? That's nothing. You know, the Marianas Trench is like eight miles. <laughs> you know, that's, that's really deep. And that's, you know, so a submarine to go 300 feet to let off a couple of mines? That's nothing. Well, for a nation that has submarines. So there you go. So we're talking about 300 feet under the sea with each line consisting of 100,000 24-ton concrete weight-coated steel pipes. Consisting of 100,000 24-ton concrete weight-coated steel pipes according to the Nord Stream website. Well, I haven't looked that far on the website. I'm just looking at where they were from. The pipeline has three different design pressure sections and pipe wall thickness of 34 to 26 millimeters, respectively. It's still pretty thick. 26 millimeters is like an inch and a half. You know, for steel, an inch and a half thick steel is pretty thick, right? Corresponding to the gas pressure drop from Russia to Germany. Okay, interesting. Submersive vehicles would be required to reach the pipelines. And Okay, I guess you can't do it by diver. And an explosion of the recorded magnitude would most likely have come from placed explosives per an analysis from Asia Times. Foreign press does it again, right? However, the timeline for the explosive placement is unknown. Well, let's go back to that military exercise we covered earlier. As there have been no reports of submarines or uh, underwater vehicles detected in the Baltic Sea as of now. Well, that's detected. doesn't mean they weren't there. The whole point of submarines is that they're not detected. That's why you have submarines, because you don't know where they are. You know, that's what makes them so dangerous. You don't know where they are. problem is when they don't know where they are, but that's another story. Article says, eyes turned originally to the Ukraine-Russia war as the reason for the pipeline's destruction. Ukrainian President Advisor Mihailo Podolyak told reporters that he believes Russia was clearly involved. I don't think so. Neither does anybody else I've read. Okay, back to the article. The large-scale gas leak from Nord Stream 1 is nothing more than a terrorist attack planned by Russia and an act of aggression towards the European Union. Well, Russian terrorist attack? Are we talking about different terrorists? We're talking about, uh, so they're saying Russia is a terrorist nation. Okay, fine. Yeah, I don't buy it. Again, all they, all they need to do is shut down their pipeline, which they did earlier, and apparently turned it back on, uh, which is why the gas is leaking. I think they've shut it, they probably shut it down now. That's probably the first thing they would do is shut it. I haven't seen that yet, though. But uh, you know, given the fact that these things are leaking massive amounts of gas, the first thing Russia should do is shut it down. Or Germany should shut it down. They should both shut it down. So the only gas that would leak is the gas currently in the pipeline, unless they can shut down different sections. I don't know. I'm not a pipeline engineer. I'm just a radio guy. <laughs> and he says, However, Russia would have very little to gain from sabotaging the pipelines. This we know, right? Russia's state-owned Gazprom owns 51% of the Nord Stream pipelines, with European countries holding the remaining 49%. Oh, 
Ooh, here's some confirmation. Okay, so Russia does, Gazprom does own 51%. Okay, European countries holding the remaining 49%. I already went over that. Wintershell DEA and E period ON in Germany with 15% each. And Gasuni of the Netherlands and NC in Paris with 9% each. So, you, so the pipeline is actually owned. This is, this is interesting. Okay, it's headquartered in Switzerland. It's owned partially by France and the Netherlands, which is Holland. Uh, also, uh, oh, actually, no, uh, you know, with, okay, so let me, let me read this again here. Make sure I get my percentages right. So Russia, Gazprom, owns 51%. So they're the controlling interest. European countries holding the remaining 49%. Wintershell DEA in Germany uh, and Gessini in the Netherlands. So Germany and the Netherlands, Holland and the Netherlands, Holland and, and Germany own 15% each. And, and France owns 9%. Oh, that's interesting. In September, back to the article, Gazprom announced it would suspend all natural gas deliveries through Nord Stream 1 to Europe indefinitely until Nord Stream 2, uh, and this is Nord Stream 2, has not yet begun operation after Germany stated it would not approve Nord Stream 2 until the second half of 2022. So when was this article dated? September 28th. Okay, Pshanky's back. Let's bring him back in. Hey, welcome back. We're in the middle of... uh, uh, of stuff, I just went over how much uh, of this pipeline is owned by different people. It's really interesting. Germany uh, and the Netherlands have 15%. France has 9%. Um, Russia has uh, 49%. I mean, 51%. And so they have the controlling interest, and it's headquartered in Switzerland. This is really an international company. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Submersive vehicles would be required to reach the pipelines, and an explosion of the recorded magnitude would most likely have to come from placed explosives. Print analysis from Asia Times. However, the timeline for the explosives placement is unknown. I think I read that part. All right, my, this thing flips around. That's the problem when you have ads that pop on these, uh, these websites that keep you know, moving it for you. Right, so I talked about Gazprom announced would suspend natural gas deliveries from Nord Stream 1. Nord Stream 2 had not yet begun operation in Germany. So how come it leaked? So it must they must have started Nord Stream 2. Those are the ones that Trump was going to – Trump basically uh, – well, Brandon gave Nord Stream 2 to Russia. So what he talks about getting rid of it is, is contradictory. I'm not sure how that settles out. On Wednesday, Russia spokesperson Dmitry S. Peshkov called allegations of Russian involvement predictably stupid and absurd. I tend to agree. And accused the United States of involvement. I tend to agree. <laughs> Okay. Uh, the U.S. appears to have prior knowledge of the pipeline breach. And here's another thing we haven't talked about yet. The CIA warned Germany in June that, uh, that uh, the Nord Stream pipelines might uh, have some terrorist activity or be uh, broken or breached or a leak. How did the CIA know? Who told the CIA? Right, this is in on telephone calls. <clears throat> yeah. So this is uh, now... I, I, well, I tried to look this up before the show. Yeah. I tried to look this up before the show. There's nothing on how the CIA learned of this. All they talk about is unnamed sources. So how did the unnamed sources know? And why did they issue the warning back in June? And why were we warned that, the, that they were given a warning? Maybe we weren't. I just missed it in the news. I don't know. I'll have to go back and check. But it says the U.S. appears to have prior knowledge of the pipeline breach as the CIA warned Germany of possible attacks over a month ago. The agency has yet to comment on the situation. Well, let's click on that link and see. See what comes up. Here we go. Washington Examiner, uh, September 28th, by Camille Mondeau, M-O-N-D-E-A-U-X, breaking news reporter. The CIA had warned Germany about possible attacks gas pipelines in the Baltic Sea several weeks before leaks in Russian pipelines to the country were detected earlier this week, according to reports. 
German officials received the tip from the CIA earlier this summer, according to local reports that cited unidentified sources. <laughs> of course they are. <laughs> a German government spokesperson declined to comment on the record. So Germany's not commenting on the warning they got? Why wouldn't they say, like, you know, thank you, appreciate it, <laughs> CIA? So we know the CIA contacted Germany. We know Germany got the message. We know Germany was warned about this. And yet the leaks still happen. Why didn't Germany warn everybody else? You know, if that was the case, why wasn't the United States patrolling the pipeline looking for people that might be sabotaging it? Or why wasn't Russia doing it? Was Russia warned? It's their pipeline, too. In fact, they own the controlling interest. Russia has submarines. They could have patrolled it and make sure nobody, you know, set off demolition charges there. So why the CIA war in Germany and not Russia? I just find that interesting, right? Anyway, German government spokesperson declined to answer. It says the revelations come after two Russian gas pipelines under the Baltic Sea experienced massive leaks, with some officials pointing to possible sabotage of the infrastructure that is crucial, crucial to managing the energy crisis in Russia and Ukraine amid the war. Two explosions were recorded before the leaks were detected. First, the first explosion occurred. All right, I already talked about that. 2.3 magnitude is what they measured. Um, that's pretty big. <laughs> For anybody that knows earthquakes, 2.3. If you're right next to a 2.3 earthquake, you'll feel it. You'll feel the ground move. That's serious stuff. Not like the earthquake I went through in, in uh, 89 at uh, 6.9. <laughs> that's, that's pretty massive. All right. Let me just uh, say, let's catch up back here, back to the original article. See if I can find my place. In September, Gazprom, that's the Russian uh, agency, the, the, the Russian company that's the independent, well, it's not independent. It's the Russian energy company, Gazprom announced it would suspend all natural gas deliveries through Nord Stream 1 to Europe indefinitely. I think I read that, too. I read that, too. US appears to have prior, okay, the U.S. appears to have prior knowledge, CIA war in Germany. Prior to the invasion of Ukraine, President Joe Biden, well, I can't even say that with a straight face, insurrectionist Brandon said at a press conference in February with the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, S-C-H-O-L-Z, that if Russia were to invade, the U.S. would end the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, and in quotation marks. Here's a quote from, from Brandon. If Russia invades, then there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2 pipeline. What does it say about Nord Stream 1, though, which is interesting? When asked how the U.S. would end the pipeline, given that it had no ownership, <laughs> Brandon said, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. Well, isn't that interesting? Russia has also pointed a fing- its finger at Ukraine. So this gets what your theory was, uh, Pianchi. However, Ukraine is currently a NATO partner country. If Ukraine were found to be behind the explosions of the pipelines, which provide significant energy to NATO states, it could affect Ukraine's relationship with the organization and its potential for full membership, something the country is aiming to achieve. Well, see, that, that's why Russia invaded Ukraine, because of the NATO membership or the possibility of NATO membership. So we could have avoided this whole thing by having, having NATO having nothing to do with Ukraine, which, of course, they shouldn't because Ukraine's not in the North Atlantic, part of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Then it says here, another potential source is Finland. All right, go ahead, Bianchi. Comment? Well, that was the in- intention is because they want the Ukraine to become a NATO member, thus by allowing weapons, missiles to be placed in Ukraine pointed toward Russia. Exactly. Which is reminiscent of what we're coming up on uh, next month, the 70th anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Isn't that interesting? For those of you that love symbolism. Anyway, the article says, well, yeah, we're going to talk about that next month, too. Things happen in October. October and April are the months of the year that are the most active for me. Stuff happens. All right. It says, another potential source is Finland. While not a major power like Russia and the U.S., Finland entered a conflict with Russia over its decision to join NATO. 
Russia promptly cut off natural gas exports to Finland in May of this year, as well as electricity, ending the country's nearly 50 years of importing. Finland's entry into NATO was ratified on Tuesday. See, none of these countries should be in NATO. NATO should be dissolved. So it's really Russia is responding to the growth of NATO much more than it is creating a war on its own. Now, do I think Russia should be invading Ukraine? No, of course not. That's not what we're talking about. And how is Finland, Finland going to get energy? They need gas and electricity. So where is that coming from? That's a good question. You would think they would have thought of that before they joined NATO. There's no reason for them to join NATO. There's no reason for Finland, Sweden, Norway to join NATO. I think they do it for the money. There's got to be money involved. You know, whether it's U.S. bases, cooperative bases, joint military exercises, whatever it is, it's money. But uh, Sweden and Norway have a pretty big military. I don't know what the military is of Finland, but Finland fought Russia before World War II. Remember that? Yeah, I can't remember that guy's name. He used to be a Russian, wasn't he? He was with Russia, and he went back to Finland. Can't remember can you, his name. Can you, can, if I can ask you another favor, I'm going to start another article here. We only have a few minutes before uh, John Cullen joins us. But if you can, just out of curiosity, the, the Finland-Russia battle, you know, on or before World War II, Finland has no love for Russia. So all these enemies of Russia are getting Russian energy. It's really stupid. <laughs> you know, uh, they're so short-sighted. They just think money. They don't realize that uh, countries don't forget. People don't forget, you know, uh, like I say, these countries in Europe have been at war for centuries. So the fact that, that Spain, France, Germany, and England all get along now is out of convenience because they've been at war with each other, you know, from the Spanish Armada, Napoleon, Hitler, Kaiser Wilhelm, uh, Bismarck. <laughs> you know, I can go back to the list. Uh, William the Conqueror, you know, 1066, Battle of Hastings. You know, these folks have had uh, invasions of each other all the time. The British Empire you know, which, which covered most of the world in the 1800s, you know, bowing us in the 1700s. Uh, you know, so the, this is, Europe is a region of constant conflict. So to think they all get along and they can take energy from each other? No, yeah, I don't think so. So this is my, my craziest article. This is, I love this one. This is from the Bath-Boom. Ah, go ahead. Close this border with Russia because you got conscription age men is fleeing Russia. I guess they don't want to be inducted into the military five days ago. I heard about that earlier. Well, you know, it's interesting that now that wars are televised, you know, people, you know, I think if, if Vietnam were televised early and beforehand, I think the draft would have ended a lot earlier. People forget that uh, the protests for Vietnam did not end with the end of the war. They ended with the end of the draft because the war went on three more years after the draft ended. War ended in 75. I think the draft ended in 72. That's about when I got to the United States. So I'm not really clear on that. I know the war was still going on. I'm pretty sure the draft was done. When did the draft end for Vietnam? Do you know? To the late 60s. About the, time I was, about the time I was eligible, thanks to Nixon. Oh, that's interesting. Did you have to get a lottery number, or were you too young for that? I think the lottery came before the ending of the draft. But I, had, I was deferred. I had occupation deferred. Oh, that's good. I had youth deferred, and I wasn't here yet. So, uh, yeah, I was a little younger, a little young for the Vietnam War, which is good. But, again, I was in Canada, Australia for most of the time that was going on. So let me get this article by Bass Boone, B-A-S, uh, capital B-O-O-N. I have no idea who this person is. 
it's a, it's, it looks like a crazy website, but uh, it's, got, it's got some interesting stuff here. Let's see if we can get to this before John joins us. World War III imminent. Are globalists behind sabotage on the Nord Stream pipeline? So let's add, let's add more to the mix here this morning. World War III imminent. Are globalists behind sabotage? Okay. EU official speculation. Russia attacked a NATO country's infrastructure. This sabotage is considered an act of war. According to the Prime Minister of Denmark, a founding member of, member of NATO, the gas pipelines are sabotaged. They detect two massive explosions blowing up the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. There are also problems with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. This detective blast comes months after Joe Biden announced he would, quote, end the Nord Stream pipeline if Russia invades Ukraine. And he says, I just finished reading the magazine Der Spiegel from Germany, which mentions that the CIA warned Berlin of a possible attack on the Nord Stream pipeline. These type of warnings brought to you by the, the fake news is used to get set a precedent for a war narrative. Okay, so this is where it gets a little deeper. It says, who has the motive to destroy the Nord Stream pipeline infrastructure and bring World War III closer? See, this is what I call the permanent war class. This is another aspect of this. He says, it is weird how the CIA and NATO are blaming Russia for this. First, Russia officially announced it would close the gas pipeline if Europe continued sanctions against Russia. Economic warfare. This is, really, this is an economic war. They made this announcement real, uh, reality on September 2nd, according to many newspaper headlines, such as The Guardian. That's British press. Liberal press, too. Suddenly, there is news three weeks later that the special forces dropped 100-ton TNT bombs on the Russian Nord Stream pipeline. Where did that news come from? I don't remember seeing that. There is news three weeks later, three weeks after September 2, that, a, that special forces dropped 100-ton TNT bombs on the Russian Nord Stream pipeline. This is the only place I've heard this. I haven't gotten any confirmation from other sources yet. This is one of the explosions was so powerful, it caused a small earthquake and destroyed the Nord Stream pipeline. So why would Russia go to the lengthy, go to the length to go to the territory of Denmark to blow up their gas pipeline. Yeah, that's the one that reported 2.3 on the Richter scale. That's how strong that explosion was. Underwater, okay? Not even land. So we're talking about water transfer of 2.3 on the Richter scale, which makes it even more powerful than a land explosion. Because, well, you know, for construction, right? Uh, you, send construction, you send an explosion through land versus water through air. Land is the strongest conductor of it, right? Because it's solid. I never said on no explosions other than a Roman cow. <laughs> okay, I wonder not know if you did demolition work at all. I was just curious. All right, so here's the CIA warning. No. Okay, the CIA warned Germany about this, and Biden publicly announced he had ways to shut down the Nord Stream pipelines. Openly, the U.S. admits they have the most significant interest and gains from sabotaging the Nord Stream pipelines. In my previous blog, I already talked about – this is not me. This is the author. Uh, I already talked about how the RAND Corporation – a whistleblower leaked a letter where the U.S. brainstorms or plans to weaken Europe. Now, this is, this is a whole other theory here, right? If you want to weaken Europe, what better way than to force the energy crisis further and blame the attack on the Russians? The Russians claim that an American helicopter with the same FFA B-123 <coughs> made strange maneuvers has been seen flying along the route of the Nord Stream pipeline. Well, that's interesting. I haven't heard that either. The magazine Sea Power published an article about Americans who bragged about their new underwater drone capacities, which we heard in an earlier, earlier article, during an exercise, Baltops 22, near Bonholm Island, which I've reported Baltops 22 in a previous article. Bonholm Island, or Bornholm Island, is where the Russian pipeline connects to Germany. And then it says, uh, it says, uh, Nord Stream sabotage map, how Putin could have carried out the attack. And uh, this, this part of it's a little confusing. I might, I might skip this part. 
It says the U.S. loves a weak year. Let's get to that theory because that one I can I get a little more handle on right now. The moment the energy crisis increases in Europe and high energy and food prices drive the majority of citizens into depression and desperation, it's easy to blame Russia. This attack on the Nord Stream pipeline is catastrophic. It will halt the manufacturing house uh, and engine of Europe, Germany. Okay, take out the pipelines. Taking out the pipelines so weakens any future negotiations the Russians have with Europe. In my previous blog, I wrote how the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz single-handedly could decide to end the Ukraine-Russia war by making an energy deal with Russia. Somebody made sure that this option was, is no longer available. See, now that's interesting. If Russia and Germany make a deal over energy, um, the war's done for some reason. I'm not sure how exactly, but uh, that's an interesting thought. It says, he who controls the money, food, and energy owns the people, making them enslaved. How do you mobilize Europe to fight a war against Russia? Well, you make the population hungry and dependent. Now, forget the scenario about climate change and how Europe can survive this energy crisis if it turns out the lights of the Eiffel Tower and other public buildings. Relax, people. Just put on your thermostat to 19 degrees. That's cold, folks. <laughs> and you'll be fine. It's not about that's, that's Celsius. It's not about survival from an energy crisis, but war. Then it said, here's the perfect way out of the World War III crisis without face loss for all parties. Many people forget how NATO bombed Serbia into oblivion. Then NATO, with the UN, manufactured a referendum for Kosovo to separate from Serbia. That's February 15, 2012. They spoke about democracy and the importance of voting. Both governments rejected the poll and the legitimacy of the referendum. Over time, they installed a WEF puppet president in Serbia, Alexander Vucic. His boss is Klaus Schwab. We know who that is, right? From the World Economic Forum, and the problem was solved. Then he says, here's what Putin should have done. Here are things which would have saved Putin's legacy. He should have done this. Shame and blackmail the leaders of Ukraine, like, like the Obama regime changed the Ukrainian government in 2014. Oh, there we go. We forgot about that too, right? By sabotaging the election process. Well, that's what Obama does. That's how he helped uh, steal the, the election for, for Brandon. I'm sure it's an Obama operation. Okay, this is Putin should have exposed Zelensky's corruption with the Panama scandal. Infiltrate the Azov Battalion. That's the Nazis in eastern Ukraine, right? The Azov Battalion, that's what you're talking about here earlier, right? And destroy them from the inside. Another mission is going after the Ukrainian puppet master, Igor Golomotsky. Not familiar with him. Install a Russia-friendly Ukraine government and president and hold a referendum for the breakaway regions. That's what he could have done. So all these things are interesting. Anyway, I'm going to hold up here because John's going to join us uh, in just a little bit. But uh, what do you think? This is complicated. And I've only gotten through, those are only half the articles I have for this morning, so I'll pick up the other ones probably Monday. Piaki, let me get, uh, get a word in here, and then uh, John's on the line. Going once, going twice? No, I guess he's, uh, he's muted himself, so it must, must have happened. All right, let me uh, do something I haven't done for, for, for a while here. And uh, let, me, let me see if I can find my, my, my theme music here. So I'm going to make him our guest of the day, who really is a regular here, who's been on many times with the World's Greatest Doctors panel. And that would be John Cullen. I'm not even sure how, how I met John. These people, you know, folks come to us at Action Radio or I reach out to them. And just amazing things happen. Anyway, John, as I found out, is, is fabulous with numbers, probably one of the best in the world. You know, he created the, the, the COVID map for Johns Hopkins or created the underlying technology. He can correct that. Anyway, um, so our World's Greatest Doctors panel has ended for now. But I asked John to stay on and do his own report. And so I'm going to introduce now the Global Pandemic Update with John Cullen. Good morning, sir. As the last 
put it famously last fall, quote, COVID. Oh, good morning. How are you? You, see, you, get, you got me on delay there. <laughs> I just heard my voice. As I, I, I accidentally hit one of the patch buttons on my mixer. I had to, uh, I had to reboot my mixer today. My, my microphone wasn't powering, oh. so I rebooted. You have a mixer? I just hit. Yeah, I use this thing called, uh, what's it called, a Rode Podcaster or something? And the oh. microphone plugs into that, and that's where I'm able to pull up these clips of like Dr. Fauci and uh, Rick Bear and stuff like that. So I have like uh, audio clips preloaded in the thing, which is great. So well, I still preload I stuff too. I, I generally stay away from those. I'll, I'll just go over the articles myself. But uh, yes, yeah, for those that don't know, the reason John sounds better than I do, he's got a better microphone. He's got a mixer. I just found out. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so you're 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 a tech geek too, aren't you? <laughs> as well as being a oh, yeah. genius. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Well, we got to talk about techie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I mean, I'll have to make you an advisor. You, you, I'll have to make you my technical advisor if you're interested, and Uh-oh. help me out. We'll, we'll Uh-oh. see if you can sound better. What? You don't want to do it? Uh oh. Okay. Well, I don't. I don't know much about Windows. I'll warn you about that. You know, oh. I don't know a whole lot of the world of Windows, but I again, that's why I use dedicated equipment. But it's a pleasure to be here on the show, and we've got some interesting things to share with the audience yeah. um, about about the pandemic. And I don't know if it, if the audience isn't familiar with me and my background and my work. Maybe I should do a quick introduction. Sure, feel free. <clears throat> yeah. So um, I. About 34 years ago, when I was working at Oracle back in the 1980s, I helped put together a system that has been used to track the pandemic. It's a mapping system. And if you've seen the map of the pandemic with all the little red dots all over the place, that's the one I'm talking about. So years ago, I helped build that system. In fact, I led the team at Oracle built that system with a company called DSRI and saw how Johns Hopkins was using the tool to portray the pandemic. Something was wrong. And that's what got my interest and how I got involved in this whole uh, pandemic investigation. How did we meet? I've forgotten. Uh, maybe you remember. I mean, so many folks come I to the show. I think it had to do with um, Larry Clayman had an event and I spoke at that event right I think uh, that that may have been the connection there well see Larry was on the show you know I was hoping he would be an advisor to our our legislative and our our legal efforts Jonathan Mosley who's our legal reporter and an attorney uh, works with Larry Clayman on occasion Larry Clayman is the one who started Judicial Watch excuse me before Tom Finton um, has has, uh, is running it now so Larry's amazing Larry's great. I'd love to get him back on. But if you were at that, uh, that congressional, uh, what was it, like a, an alternative Congress or something like that? It's kind of similar to what we do here. It was a third, yeah, third Continental Congress. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He had a third Continental Congress in Philadelphia mm-hmm. at Independence Hall. And he had uh, <clears throat> a whole bunch of folks there. He had, uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio was there. Mm-hmm. He's uh, been he on the show. From all over, yeah. He's yeah. had people from all over the country were there. And he asked me if I would... Uh, contribute some material that I had used in a uh, a grand jury uh, that he had put together. He put together something called the Citizens Grand Jury based on something, yeah, based on, uh, I guess, Scalia. Uh, Antonin Scalia had said that the grand jury belongs to the people. 
And so Larry put together the citizen's grand jury and asked me to testify. And I testified with Judy, Dr. Judy uh, Mikovits. And so Dr. Judy and I <clears throat> basically testified to this real grand jury of people. Like he pulled a Zoom thing. Mm-hmm. And there were over a dozen people there. I know, yeah, I had no idea who was who these people were. And so um, he asked me to testify, and I shared my findings. And uh, that's when he, I guess uh, you know, coming out of that, he asked me to also participate in this Third Continental Congress and uh, expose some of these cover-ups that the government has been perpetrating on the people, not just here in the United States, but it, it appears now kind of globally. And that's rather you know, unsettling. We just went so, over two hours <laughs> of, of uh, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline from multiple sources, nationally, internationally. So, uh, yeah, right. that, that's a complex story. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, I understand, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Exactly. And, for, and again, for the audience's sake, the thing about the map that caught my attention early on, so we're talking about March of 2020, uh, I take a look at the map, and there weren't 10 people dead in Beijing, China. And there weren't 10 people dead in Shanghai. And there weren't 10 people dead in Hong Kong. And all the actions, so to speak, all the deaths were in Wuhan. And quite frankly, as big a city as Wuhan is, it's bigger than New York City. So that, you know, mm-hmm. Wuhan is 10 million wow. people. New York City is about 7.5 million. So <clears throat> Wuhan is... Probably less now than last year. Even? <laughs> yeah, well, for sure. Rightfully so. Um, but Wuhan is like a major city. And so, yes, Wuhan had a lot of deaths. I think 3,500 people had died in Wuhan at that point. But that was it throughout China. There, were, there was not another city in China that had a hundred people dead. And I kind of thought that was odd. It's like, okay, so it looks like there's this outbreak in Wuhan. Mm -hmm. But when I click on Beijing and when I click on Hong Kong and when I click on Shanghai, uh, there's not 10 people dead there. Dr. Tedros declaring a global pandemic if Hong Kong doesn't have 10 dead. And that was the part that got my attention. And it, it just didn't make sense to me from a cognitive dissonance standpoint. Right? I was just, this, this doesn't add up. How is this the case? And as I started to look around on this map, and by the way, for the audience, if you guys don't know where to find the map, the easiest way I can tell you to get to it is you go to Drudge Report. And Drudge Report is, uh, I guess, fairly popular. People know what that is, D-R-U-D-G-E-R-E-P-O-R-T.com, DrudgeReport.com. And Drudge Report has been publishing a link to this map for the last, I guess, really since the beginning of the pandemic. If you go to their website, DrudgeReport.com, they, on, the, on a computer, they show three columns. I don't know what it looks like on an iPhone or something, but on a computer, they show three columns of data. The middle column, the last thing before they give you a list of all their uh, contributors is their COVID section. And let's give the audience a quick update because right there, there's a link that says World Sick Map. Mm-hmm. So if you go to Drudge Report, the middle column, World Sick Map, that's the map. And everybody who's listening, you guys can go there. Go to DrudgeReport.com. Go to the middle column. At the bottom of that middle column, it says World Sick Map. You click on that. That's the map that uh, Greg and I are talking about here. 
And Drudge Report has also been posting the uh, number of cases in the USA over the last seven days. So the seven-day average for the current year and for the same week last year. And that's an interesting comparison. Same thing with death. So they're looking at cases and deaths for this past week versus the same week last year. And how are we faring? And I think that's an interesting comparison, right? It's so in the map last, right now, so I'm on Drudge Report. Where do I find it? I've seen this map for a while. <clears throat> so you go to DrudgeReport.com in the middle column. You go right. down that middle column past all the stories. And right before there's a list of all these uh, writers, there's uh-huh. a little oh, section that says COVID cases, deaths, and then it says World Sick Map. And seven day, USA seven-day average. Yeah, World Sick Map. There we go. Right. Okay. So you uh-huh. see all that right below that World Sick Map. And that mm-hmm. takes you to the Johns Hopkins implementation of the system that I helped build 34 years ago. Yeah. And yeah, I, 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 that, that. I haven't seen it for a while, but uh, this is, looks very familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, there was a recent story uh, about this and saying, was this map the tool that kind of set the world on fire? And that's pretty much what I've been saying for two and a half years, which is if this is what you guys are looking at, something's wrong here. And I, I guess it took about a year for me to get to the point in the investigation where I started to look into, well, who was the person who built this thing? The software <clears throat> requires configuration, right? It doesn't just come out of the box and map a pandemic. You have to tell it how you want it to do things. And whoever configured it, configured it in a way that everything on the map was red. Yeah, it still is. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the time, so this is going back to March of 2020, Mm -hmm. I'm looking at Vietnam. Now, Vietnam is is a really important harbinger because Vietnam has 100 million people. It's more than Germany. It's more than the United Kingdom. So Vietnam has more people than any country in Western Europe. And so when you look at Vietnam with 100 million people neighboring China, sharing a border with China, the northern border of Vietnam is just a few hundred miles south of of Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So they share a border. And there was no one dead in Vietnam, zero. And it was red. And then I went to Laos, and there was no one dead in Laos, and it was red. And I went to Cambodia, and there was no one dead in Cambodia, and it was red. And I'm like, well, how does this make, why would you make it red if there's nobody dead there? Yeah. What, what do question. you have to do to get a, yeah, what do you have to do to get a green in this map? And that's when it hit me. It's like, well, somebody's trying to panic everybody here. Mm-hmm. Why would you do this? Why would you do that? And again, that's what that's what got my interest and piqued it and got me involved in this investigation. Up yeah, until Africa that point, strangely, I was going, uh, Africa's strangely missing any red. I mean, it's just like little dots. The rest of the world, well, you know, interesting North America, is, Europe. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I started calling attention to the Africa phenomenon mm-hmm. very early on because Nigeria has 220 million people or so. Mm-hmm. and has fewer dead from COVID than Rhode Island, according to the CDC. 
So the CDC gives us a number. So this is how many people died from COVID in Rhode Island. And I look in Nigeria with 220 million people, and they have fewer dead, according to Johns Hopkins. So that was odd. And then I said, okay, well, maybe it's just Nigeria, something's wrong, right? Maybe their fax machine is broken or something. So I went to Ethiopia, <laughs> right? You remember fax yeah. machines, right? So I oh, went to yeah, Ethiopia. It's funny you said that. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, you know, maybe it just ran out of ink or somebody unplugged it. So I go to Ethiopia and I look at Ethiopia and I'm like, well, Ethiopia has 120 million people. Mm-hmm. Okay, these, are, these are the two most populated countries in Africa, by the way. So yeah. Ethiopia and Nigeria. When you combine the population of the two countries, mm-hmm. it's the same as the United States. Mm-hmm. So the population of Nigeria plus Ethiopia is the same as the USA. And Ethiopia right now has, uh, let's see, let's go to Ethiopia together. You're now, you're looking at the map, you're big shot yep. now. You're, you're, oh, you're a cartographer. Okay. I am. All right. So I, I love maps. I used right. to do flight instruction. I, I taught people how to read charts and things. Oh, so, that's yeah. right. That's right. You're a pilot. So you're a navigator and all that. Uh, all right. So, so Yaki, if you go to Ethiopia, you guys haven't talked yet, but uh, he's, he's who's Jackie, this? feel free to join us. Yeah. We have one of my regular callers um, who's all the time. It was great. Great. You know, we almost like co-host okay, this great. thing. Yeah, so he's here. I can't click on that on this map. How do I click on an individual country? Well, there's a little teeny, teeny, tiny red dot underneath Addis Ababa. Addis Ababa is the capital of Ethiopia. And there's a tiny red dot there. And if you click on that, it'll give you the statistics for Ethiopia. Uh, You can also look for Ethiopia on the left side. But it's going to be okay. all the way down on the left because they've only had 365 cases in the last four weeks. That's a very uh-huh. low number in Ethiopia, right? So yeah. you'll find them all the way down on the left side because the left side is sorted by how many cases in the last four weeks, all right? Yep. So you go to Ethiopia, and here's what we know about Ethiopia. Right now they have 7,572 people dead. Huh. In the right during the whole pandemic with 120 million people. Now, to put the 7,500 people dead in perspective, what I do is I compare that to the United States and I say, okay, well, who has 7,500 people dead in the USA that compares to Ethiopia? Right. So to me, that's a that's a reasonable comparison, right? Who's got 7,500 uh-huh. dead like Ethiopia? So yeah. we go to the United States. Now, I'm using a different tool now to do this. And because it, it just makes it easy and fast for me, I'm using the Worldometers tool. So Oregon has 8,500 people dead. Mm-hmm. All right, so Oregon has more people dead than Ethiopia, but Ethiopia has 120 million people. So how do you, right? I mean, how does that add up, right? So you, Oregon's got more dead, New Mexico. Now, New Mexico only has 2 million people in the whole state. So how does New Mexico, with 2 million people, have more mm-hmm. dead than Ethiopia? We'll oh, give them difference in their medical system, too. Right. That's, the, that's yeah. kind of the point. Yeah. I mean, is, is there Ethiopian clean healthcare? water in Ethiopia? Right. Yeah, is there even know. clean water? Right. I mean, how many functioning toilets are there in Ethiopia? Do we have a count? Is it? near a hundred? Is it more? I mean, yeah. you're talking about health care. 
I'm talking about basic clean yeah, water sanitation. and food. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. And New Mexico's got more dead. Kansas has more dead. Iowa? How does Iowa have more dead than Ethiopia? Iowa, again, has 3 million people, a little over 3 million people in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Connecticut, 3,500, uh, 3.5 million people in Connecticut. That's the population of Connecticut compared to Ethiopia or Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Nigeria has fewer dead. Ethiopia has fewer dead than Connecticut. Connecticut's got over 11,000 people dead from COVID. This should be triggering cognitive dissonance in the audience. You, you, you need to hear this and go, what? How the hell does Connecticut have more dead than Nigeria? Dr. Fauci, Dr. Walensky, <laughs> that doesn't, Dr. That doesn't, <laughs> yeah. that doesn't make well, a whole lot of sense. Yeah. And, and, you know, by the way, you, the Dr. Fascist comment or, you know, the, 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 nom, the nomenclature, this Dr. Fascist, couldn't be more true when you look at the connection between government and corporations. Mm-hmm. And That's what fascism is. Yeah, we talked about that on the show. Yeah. Right, right. And one of the things that sort of stunned me in the last week since we last spoke, I saw a commercial on television for the Pfizer product. Yeah, we're going to try and change we, that. Um, for those that don't know, yeah. Dr. and one of our listeners, Linda Milkus, uh, wrote, we're working on a bill. In fact, we're all working on it on the show. Linda's going to come back in a couple of weeks. She's, she's going to work on the things that we talked about. She's listening to the podcast. She'll incorporate that into the introduction. And it's basically going to be a repeal of that section, you know, 202 or 201 uh, FDA code on prescription drug uh, advertising. So uh, that's that's still in the works. That's going to come back, and uh, I'll probably have her back maybe with you or or whenever she can present that. I'll put that back online, and you can you can tweet it and share it, and uh, away we go. It'll be part of our, our our health bill collection, which we're starting to make now. And and I yeah I I'm all on board with that, and I remember you know that mm-hmm. conversation from last week. But in this case, Pfizer's advertising product that uh, when you peel the onion just one layer. You realize that the Comirnaty, and we've talked about this on the show, the Comirnaty formulation mm-hmm. that was approved by the FDA, mm-hmm. Pfizer said, no, we're, we're not making that anymore. We well, don't they make ever? that. <laughs> no, they did. They don't make it. They did. So, yeah. so, uh-huh. No, they did. So there's two formulations for adults. There's a formulation that has, uh, let, let me be specific, because I don't want to give anybody the bad, you know, bad terminology here um so there's two different versions from pfizer of this product and the two versions are described by the fda so this is how i know this is a downloaded document from the fda and it says the pfizer biontech COVID 19 vaccine for individuals 12 years of age and older so this is for 12 and older 12 and under has another formulation using something called TRIS, T-R-I-S. Mm-hmm. And TRIS is like a sucrose-type buffer used in vaccines, but they're only using TRIS in the pediatric version of the COVID uh, shot. The adult or 12 and older version, what it says here, is contain one of the following sets of additional ingredients. Mm-hmm. Ask the vaccination provider which version is being administered. So 
It's telling you right here specifically. There's two different versions, one of the yeah. following, and it lists two. So one of the versions is the original version, and that is the one that was approved. And that's the one that has potassium chloride, monobasic potassium phosphate, sodium chloride, dibasic sodium phosphate, dihydrate, and sucrose in it. The problem was, and so it appears, and this is some speculation on my part, but I don't think it's a big risk. That version mm-hmm. required storage at negative 70 centigrade, which is negative 94 Fahrenheit. Yeah. Freezers don't go that low <laughs> unless you buy a, you know, a really special $10,000, dollars $15,000 freezer. And this type yeah. of freezer is not readily available. Like, I don't know that they've got a negative 70 freezer at CVS or Walgreens, right? They don't have that. <laughs> so, or in transit, too. you got trains. you got Right, uh, exactly. Uh, ships yeah, or you got stuff is transported. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're transporting it in dry ice, right? This is mm-hmm. – and it, it obviously created a big problem, right? So I've interviewed Brooke Jackson. She shared with us that they weren't able to maintain and monitor this stuff properly in the clinical trials in – Dallas, Texas, let alone imagine what might be happening in Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam. It's like if we can't get it straight in Dallas, mm-hmm. what what do you think is happening in Chiang Rai, Thailand? Do you think they got negative 70 freezer? I don't think so. I don't think they have this. Until delivery so, yeah, you know, from the doctor's office, too, because right. they have to keep it that cold all the way through the process, you know, wherever and this then stuff it goes. Gets thawed, and there's a very specific time frame for thawing. Right. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? And then each one of these vials can be used for multiple doses. So and then it has to be some of them have to be uh, diluted and some of them don't. So each different formulation has all kinds of different instructions. Well, well Pfizer comes out. Yeah. Well, hang on. Hang on. That. Pfizer comes yeah, out ahead. with a second formula, a new version with trimethamine in it. Right. And we talked about this on the show a couple yep. months back. And Dr. Mm-hmm. Dr. Judy starts typing and she's like trimethamine what the hell? that's a new one and she's looking it up and she's like oh boy you know there's another buffer product that they came out with and this trimethamine changes the storage and transport temperature requirements right so this now you now you or store it at the negative 70 however that's not the formulation that was fda approved whoa 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 yep the formulation that was FDA approved, Comirnaty, had the potassium chloride in it. Isn't that execution fluid? Isn't that what they use in, in, in uh, yes, that's what death case Dr. Ben <laughs> show. Yeah. And more yeah. says he says he says, What? Potassium chloride says we use them when we execute prisoners. Yeah. It's like what why why are they using that? That's that's in the execution dose. That's mm-hmm. shouldn't be one of the there. three. All right. Yeah. So the point the point about the commercial that I brought up that's kind of different from what we were talking about with uh, with Linda last week is right. this is a commercial for a product that is under EUA now. In other words, yes, Comirnaty was approved, but Pfizer has said explicitly we don't make that formulation anymore. So the formulation <laughs> that's being delivered today is back under EUA again. 
from well, Pfizer. Well, comes to liability, have, have you noticed that no matter what the situation is, always liability. And I think uh, part of the reason they engineered this to be required to be such a cold temperature, knowing full well that it's not going to be at a cold temperature all the places it goes, is, is if anything happens down the line, they can say, well, did you keep it at negative 71 degrees Celsius? Well, uh, no. Well, this is not our fault. We told you to keep it. Yeah, at no, that's an interesting. So it's, it's an interesting. It's an angle. out for them. Yeah, it's no, it's a very out. interesting angle. Yeah, I think in the rush to get the product out, right? Mm-hmm. So they, in order to get a vaccine ready, because they were administering it in December of 2020, right? The first shots, December 2020 was when Joe Biden got his. Mm-hmm. So that's when the first shots came. In order to get it ready in time, uh, you know, I'm I'm guessing. That was sort of the sacrifice they had was, well, we know these ingredients will do what we needed to do, but mm-hmm. we really have to store it at negative 70. And to your point, it almost had an ulterior benefit, which was this uh, ability for them to say, well, you know, like, like you said, did you keep it at negative 70? Well, then it's on you, not on us. We told you, yeah. you to keep it. What's your 70. chain of custody? Can you prove it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> this is my legal mind coming in here. Yeah. <clears throat> so this, uh, this is interesting. Um, I want to, I actually have a couple of numbers I want to throw at you. And this is something uh, you got me started thinking numbers. I'm not, I'm not good with numbers. I'll tell you right now. I'm like number dyslexic. I mix up things all the time, but it occurred to me that there was something jumped out of me. Like it jumped out at you. Um, we have 330 million people in the United States, roughly. About there uh-huh. somewhere, all right, three hundred thirty million. Yeah. and apparently yeah. a million people, a million people have died from COVID. I'm thinking, well, that's a lot. And then I thought to myself, mm-hmm. well, I remember this figure that um, you know, ninety nine point nine five percent on average of the people are not seriously affected by COVID. I mean, kids aren't affected at all. Right. They have like a ninety nine point nine nine something, whatever it is, you know, and more, and older right. people are. But nine ninety nine point nine five percent is about the average. Uh, of folks that might get moderate symptoms at worst. I mean, it's not fatal, right? So then I multiplied, you know, 99.95% times 330 million, subtracted the result, and I got 165,000. So if a million people died from COVID, and we already know that 99.95% of the population is not going to be affected, that means only 165,000 people should be affected, not not a million. Well, so the 99.99, so so the problem with the formula is, is the assumption you can't oh, okay. assume this 99.99 thing because mm-hmm. that's hyperbole. That's why I use the actual numbers, right? So I, you, what I hear and what I see a lot on Twitter is people mm-hmm. saying things like 99.9% of children survive COVID. And to me, that's like ivory soap is 99.44% cure. <laughs> Okay. It's like, yeah, okay, well, yeah. Uh, all right. How well, many what's, kids what's died in Los Angeles? I want to know how many kids died in Los Angeles. Right. What's the number? What's the number? And the reason I'm so obnoxious about it mm-hmm. is because I really enjoy hearing people say, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. Right? Because yeah. I'm obnoxious. I'm obnoxious. No, this is why you're on the show. Right? You know, you know I love that. your obnoxiousness. Are you kidding? This is, this is what makes you well, a great person right. on the show. I love this stuff. So, so, so all these yeah. people in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles County Supervisor, this woman, uh, Barbara Ferrer, talking about masks and schools and the parents can't go to a PTA meeting unless they wear a mask to the PTA meeting. Mm-hmm. In the last two and a half years, Barbara Ferrer, how mm-hmm. many School-aged children have died with COVID in Los Angeles. There is a number. That number 
should be relevant. If the number is 120,000 school-age children died in Los mm-hmm. Angeles from COVID, mm-hmm. okay, that's a that's big a lot. number. That's a lot of dead yeah. kids. That's a lot yep. of dead kids. That's a lot of small coffins, right? Mm-hmm. And if that were the oh, that's case, an image. <laughs> that's, a, that's a mental right? image right there. 120,000 yeah. dead kids in Los Angeles and my kids going to school in Los Angeles, I might say, I, listen, honey, you know, you probably are going to need to wear a mask a little bit longer if, in fact, it's effective and da, 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 whatever. Which we might not. take precautions. <laughs> well, yeah. I get it. But we might take precautions that we right. otherwise might, you know, wouldn't have taken. So the question is, at what point does the number of school-age children that died in any given locality come into the conversation? And my frustration, Greg, is that it never does, ever, until I show up. So until I get involved in the conversation with, uh, what is it, Joe Ladapo in Florida, Surgeon Mm -hmm. General, right? Is that his name, Joe Ladapo? So until uh, yeah, I Lattipo, start, I think it's pronounced, but I, I keep screwing up the spelling okay. of his name. Yeah, Joe Lapido. Yeah. Okay, so Lapido. So, so I engage with him on Twitter mm-hmm. and use the actual number. How many children died with COVID in Florida, right? And mm-hmm. comparing all that. So I don't see people using the data. All I hear is hyperbole. All I hear are words and, you know, this and that. How many kids died in Los Angeles with COVID? Because if the number is 435,000 children have died with COVID in Los Angeles, well, we might want to disinfect the schools one more time, right? We got 130 billion to open them safely, right? There should be a little bit of that left over, right? <laughs> one would say after What's the teachers' union. 130 it, yeah. billion. Right. So yeah, uh, I imagine money. after installing brand new HVAC systems in every school in America, <laughs> right, we, we still have a little bit left over of the hundred. You know that 130 billion, by the way, is uh-huh. enough to build a hundred, just let's say 75 Burj Khalifas. The Burj Khalifa, it's the biggest building in the world in Dubai. Oh. So the, wow. Burj, the Burj Khalifa is the world's tallest building today. And right. it cost about a billion and a half dollars to build. Huh. And we, so we said we're going to put $130 billion towards reopening the school safely. <laughs> well, that's about enough to build about 75 Burj Khalifas today, which means or, every, state, yeah. every state got enough money to at least build one Burj Khalifa, right? Everybody, $130 billion went out to yeah. open the schools safely. So mm-hmm. I sure hope that everybody got a new, you know, air conditioning. Well, that's enough to, to create an entire school system. Now, here's something that I talked about. I'm going to jump in here for a second. Uh, when the schools closed, and this is like March, April, May of, of 2020, I said, great, all the public schools in the, countries are, in the country are closed. Keep them closed. Fire the teachers' union. Fire all the teachers, close those buildings down, sell them, sell them to private entrepreneurs, open up an entire private school system right now. Go to full voucher, take all the taxes that are coming in for education and direct it to a private voucher system, have 100% school choice, have private schools open up, get rid of the public school system right now. It was the perfect opportunity to do it. Everybody thought it was crazy. Well, they don't think I'm so crazy now because the schools went right back to exactly as well, bad as they were. But that was my plan. Betsy, and you, I, Betsy we did several DeVos. shows on it. 
Yeah. Betsy DeVos yeah. jumped on your train about an, a year and a half late, but and she wasn't quite as eloquent about it. But she <laughs> oh, said I <clears throat> she said yeah. I ran the Department of Education yeah. and I will tell you right now it needs to be disbanded. Yeah. So she agrees with you wholeheartedly and she should know she ran the thing mm-hmm. and said it needs to be disbanded. Well, and quite frankly, show. it's not constitutional. There's nothing constitution yep. that covers edu- you know, school systems and education, and therefore, it belongs to the states. Yep, sure does. There should not be a federal Department of Education according to the Constitution. And that's, oh, that's I don't my think interpretation. Be, uh, I could be wrong. Yeah. I could be yeah, wrong. No, no, Betsy DeVos agrees with me. You mm-hmm. agree with me. So that's, yep. that's two. No, there's no provision for the FBI. There's no provision for the ATF. There's no provision for um, most of the Department of Justice, actually, because there's only three federal crimes. There's no provision for a bunch of things they do. You know, very little, in fact. Uh, and so we've, we actually, I'll tell you, I got two videos I said, that I made, um, I think, a couple of years ago. You'd be interested. One is on a constitutional budget. Mm-hmm. Actually, because you're, you're a data guy, you're going to really appreciate this. In fact, you might be able to help me with the next one, where I took sure. all of Article, I took Article 1, Section 8, which is the only place that Congress can constitutionally spend money. And I, I got the federal budget, and I put federal budget entities, departments and agencies, to the provisions of Article 1, Section 8. And I came up with a budget at that time of about $1.4 trillion. It's probably 1.5 or more now. Mm-hmm. So only about a third mm-hmm. of the federal budget is constitutional. So they take in about $4.5 trillion in revenue. So if you take one and a half to fund the government, you got four and a half coming in. You got three trillion dollars surplus of, of money coming in uh, above your constitutional yeah. spending. Well, if that went for for national debt relief, you know, without the debt, ten involved, years, uh, yeah, ten, ten years, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, like another way to do it too. everybody. Yeah. Is, uh, it, 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 the strange thing here is that it seems to me like this notion of government by the people for the people of the people. Mm-hmm. We lost we lost our way there because it doesn't appear that the government is representing the people's interest when it comes to keeping secrets from us, mm. right? So that it, it so for me the biggest issue <clears throat> is the secrets, the yeah. cover-ups, the lies. In other words, I'm not giving you my money so that you can lie to me. And cover well, up uh, things and keep things from me. That's not that I didn't vote for that. I didn't say <laughs> yes. This is this is the bill of uh, yeah. We'd rather not know, Bill. Mm-hmm. Please don't tell us we voted for that. That the FBI should keep these things a secret. I don't get it. And so to me, that when the government is hiding things from the public, they're no longer representing the people. So, I could, again, I could be wrong. That's just my opinion. No, there's some things we should hide. In fact, you want to hide diplomatic negotiations um, because if those are open and televised, like uh, I think uh, Wilson wanted, you know, open diplomacy, you know, things openly arrived at. I forgot who said that. Nobody's going to say anything. They're mm-hmm. never going to talk, you know, because they don't have the, they need the privacy to talk about things. That, That's a good uh, exception. They don't want their public to know. And I don't want to know the private yeah. negotiations. I want to know the results. Good exception. Yeah, so I there don't are want to know. That, I don't want to know the launch codes or the locations yeah. of the nuclear bunkers. I don't, you know, just don't. Yeah. in my backyard. But our policy, right? We should know. Yeah. Well, what's a good number? Uh, then? Right. If if, if one hundred sixty-five thousand, if ninety-nine point nine five percent is not a good number, what is a good number right. for how many for the population? Well, you, that's, well, we'll uh, use the at worst, numbers. I'll give you the real yeah. number. Let's okay. use the real number. So mm-hmm. we know how many cases and we know mm-hmm. how many deaths, mm-hmm. and that and. 
ta-da, that's it. That's our that's our our numerator and our denominator. So uh, unless they're double counting cases. So in other words, if if you had it three times and they mm-hmm. count you as three cases, that's going to skew the thing a little bit. But let's just use mm-hmm. the raw numbers that we get from Johns Hopkins. And again, this is Occam's razor type thinking, which is let's just mm-hmm. start with the basics. Start yeah. with just a simple thing. And then if we have further evidence that skews it, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. So right now, According to Johns Hopkins, in the United States, there's 1,058,523 people that have died with COVID. That's the number from Johns Hopkins. So we'll, we'll mm-hmm. use that right now. So 1,058,523 against a total case count of 96,250,521 cases. So I'm going to divide the number of people that died by the number of cases, 96,250,521. And we get 0.010 as our answer. All right, so this is 1%. 1% is what it's working out to be. That's what we caught it, but over, as the overall population, how can we extrapolate that to 330 million okay. people? <clears throat> okay, so overall population, so that, right, so you're right. So that was base, we go 330 million, I think is the oh, number right. Breaking up a little tiny uh, bit there. I'm sorry, so 331 million, we divide, uh, actually, I need one, one that's our current death, by the Oh, your your gain's a little stronger. Something's happening. We're getting every other word. It just broke up a little bit. Are you getting close to the microphone or something? Or something changed? No. Okay. No. It might that be better. Internet. Yeah, it could okay. be. Every time we get to something right, good, so we this, get interrupted. <laughs> Maybe that's not a yeah, accident. That's, <clears throat> yeah, it's pretty common. All right, yeah. so here here we have the total deaths in the United States at 1 million versus the population of 331 million. Nets us a uh, 0.3%. So uh, you're you're looking at 99.7% are fine. 0.3%. 0.3% of the population died with COVID. 0.3. Less, you know, less than percent. So how much is that related to 331 million? 0.3%. Which is? 1 million people. Oh, so that's, okay, so that's, all right. 1 million people is 0.3% of the total population. And that's how many died with COVID. Oh, okay. So, intrinsically, like I say, in my my brain, it doesn't seem to make sense that 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 million number is correct. But that's based on CDC when you numbers. Say correct. <clears throat> well, yeah. So we're getting this from from Johns Hopkins, but what we know from the CDC, right? The CDC tells us explicitly five percent of that number had just COVID nineteen on the death certificate, right? Everybody else had, on average, four comorbidities. Yeah, I've seen that. There was something. There's something on a website that said, uh, you know, cause of death, COVID-19. 
you know, other, other uh, things, you know, heart arrhythmia, cancer, <laughs> you know, lung, yes, COVID, right. you know, whatever those things right. were. Those the, are the comorbidities. You know, COPD. Yeah. The, 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 you know. Exactly. And so, exactly. so take 5% of that uh, 1 million. Right. And that's what? And now we're at 52,000 Oh, okay. Right. And so, what's so, interesting about the 50,000, so let me show you uh-huh. why that's interesting. Okay. So the number of people that, according to the CDC, it's about 52,000 right now. Or you okay. want an, an exact right. number? I'll tell you exact. Mm-hmm. So it's 1058523 times 0.05 and 52,926 people. So let's call 53,000 people have died in the United okay. States with COVID-19 is the only thing listed on the death certificate. So okay. it doesn't say acute respiratory distress syndrome. It doesn't say pneumonia. Doesn't, you know, Cancer, heart attacks, diabetes. Nothing. nothing. <laughs> so COVID-19. Other doctor it. causes. And it's the only thing yeah. on there. All right. So if we go to India and we look at India and we say, all right, well, India has almost as many people as China. Like they're, they're within 40 million of each other. So if we go to India and we look at India and we say, well, how many people died in India? Because India has got four and a half times the population of the United States. Mm-hmm. So with four and a half times the population of the United States, they should have four to five times more people dead, you'd think. Mm-hmm. No? Give or take, right? Rough and tough. So India has about 528,000 people that died with COVID, about half the United States. Well, how does India have half as many dead with four and a half times the population? And, and why is this not something that 60 Minutes wants to dig into, right? How did India, with mm-hmm. four and a half times the population of the United States, end up with half the deaths? What did they do? Mm. <laughs> is it I shrimp karma? The, uh, I love shrimp that karma. We... Maybe that's, if that's the answer, I'm on board with that. What was that, that place? Works for me. Punjab, Ubatur, whatever that that province was that uh, that did the hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, it's a state that's and, like <clears throat> it's a state in uh, like 200 million people, and they they did chloroquine. Right. Yeah. Well, here's a question. Now, Probably. my calculator. I'm not good at calculating, but it seems that 53,000 is 0.016 percent of the U.S. population, and yet the same 0.3 percent died of COVID. Can you confirm that, or well, tell me if I got the right figure? So, well, That's a lot again, less than three. It, 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 the, the, the 5% of the deaths that say just COVID-19, let's mm-hmm. assume for a minute that that's under-reporting a little bit, all right? Because mm-hmm. it says just COVID-19 and, you know. So, for example, okay. if I had a death certificate that says COVID-19 and ARDS, acute respiratory distress syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, they died of COVID. I mean, that, that's, they died of COVID, right? Okay. So even though they have a comorbidity on there, the comorbidity is really just describing that they couldn't breathe anymore, right? A respiratory failure would be listed as a comorbidity, right? So mm-hmm. I wouldn't rule that out. If it just said mm. SARS-CoV-2 and respiratory failure, they have a comorbidity and they don't fit in that 5%. So I would, I would double it. I would say just let's, let's be loosey-goosey. And double 100, it to 100,000. Yeah, make yeah. it 100,000 people. Then it works against India. Then we have 100,000 dead. They have mm-hmm. 500,000 dead. That makes sense to me. If we had 100,000 dead and India had, had 500,000 dead, 
It's like, all right, well, that's that's a is that comparable with ratio. our three hundred thirty million and their one point four billion? Is that a comparable? Right, figure that's then? exactly right from a ratio okay. perspective. Right, because right, they have four and a half right. times the population that we do, and mm-hmm. if they've got five hundred thousand dead and we've got one hundred thousand dead, that that's about right. That's five. Yeah, times but our hundred thousand isn't, you know, that's not a million. No, because so now you have to ask, right. right, so the question you should be asking is, all right, why was it so important that the United States inflate, so to speak, these COVID death mm-hmm. numbers? Why was it, you know, a million people? We know India's why. Got half <laughs> all right, well, no, 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 I don't think you do. I, or, uh, I, I'm guessing a lot of the audience doesn't know why. So the reason is there was another pandemic happening at the same time, a second pandemic. And it started before COVID. But it appears to me, this is speculative, that the strain of that pandemic might have been a national security issue. Otherwise, I can't figure out why you would keep it a secret. In other words, if there were two pandemics happening at the same time, and one was mm-hmm. tuberculosis and the other was COVID-19, Right. They said, damn it, we've got a tuberculosis outbreak in Wales and Scotland that is just unreal. We've never seen a tuberculosis strain like this before. More people are infected in Wales and Scotland than ever before. And we've got this COVID outbreak in Wuhan. So when you see your doctor, tuberculosis mm-hmm. symptoms and COVID symptoms are somewhat similar. You may not be able to tell the difference. You need to ask your doctor and find out which virus you have. Now, how complicated was that? Yeah, not at all. Not that complicated. Not that complicated. So the question then is, well, if there are two pandemics and we have the death certificates to show that there are or there were, you know, actually that there are still currently, why would you keep one of them a secret? Unless the strain of that pathogen Mm -hmm. was a national security problem. Now, if that were the case and you had two pandemics and one pandemic, let's call it tuberculosis just for a straw man. The tuberculosis pandemic was actually a strain of tuberculosis that maybe we developed at Walter Reed to be more pathogenic because we wanted to pretend that the Russians were doing it so Mm -hmm. we could develop a solution to a highly pathogenic tuberculosis that we imagine the Russians might build, right? So that's how it works. We, at Walter Reed and at Fort Detrick, Mm -hmm. we build kind of deadly pathogens that we imagine our enemies would build. And then we come up with that's solutions. That's called gene of function, isn't it? <laughs> isn't that what that works? Well, because, because that's what the bad guys are doing. So if the bad guys are doing it, you've got to come up with a solution for their hypothetical bad thing that they're developing over in uh, uh, Vector. Now, you know that there was a massive fire uh-huh. at Vector. In, now, if the audience isn't familiar with Vector, Vector is the equivalent of the Wuhan Institute of Virology in Russia. Vector is Russia's BSL-4 gain-of-function headquarters. It is the place where various things that come out of Russia, this is where they come from. It's Vector. Mm-hmm. And there was a fire in Vector in 2019. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that certainly deserves a little bit more investigation as to, well, how mm-hmm. did that happen? Yeah. That kind of like a kind of like a gas pipeline just kind of spontaneously exploding. We had a 
in two uh, places. A fire at a BSL four lab. Or is this stuff just keeps happening all over the place? It does. Like the food plants. Yeah. Well, that's Russia. So it's kind of a tangled yeah. web, but it, where it leads you is, well, wait a second. If there were two pandemics, and let's say one of them is blue and one of them is green, okay? So the green pandemic is the COVID pandemic. But the blue one is the one you need to keep secret. So what you do is, were you on a motorcycle when you died? Well, let's test you for COVID, and we'll call that a COVID death because it was COVID-related. You probably wouldn't have crashed or an you know, sick with COVID, you would have lived. So that's a COVID death. And now we have a million COVID deaths, renal cancer, brain cancer, Alzheimer's, COPD, cystic fibrosis, and COVID. Pneumonia. So now you have a million COVID deaths. And so now you've got the big pandemic that you need to cover up the one that you kind of don't want people to know about, which came from somewhere where we make bad things. So that's well, speculation, but we have the death certificates yeah. to show a million people died of influenza in the United States since October of 2019, P&I. So P&I is the measurement we use. It's pneumonia and influenza. There's a separate system just for tracking that. And since mm-hmm. October 2019, more people have died from P&I in the United States than since 1918. It doesn't like nothing even comes close. The number's a million people in three years. It has never looked like this ever. And yeah. you know, to me that that that's what they're trying to hide. And so that's why they inflate the COVID numbers. They don't want people to talk about the actual virus that killed people that didn't come from China. Well, it's almost worse than that because COVID we know doesn't affect that many people. We already discovered it's a very small percentage. Uh, it's usually older folks with with other things that they get, but they want to scare enough right. people. They want to scare people to get the, the 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 vaccine, the jab, the snake oil, you know. And you can't do that if if a very small number of people are dying. So you need a large number of people dying. Right. Well, they're not going to die of COVID because COVID doesn't affect that many people. Right? We've already established that. Yeah. So you need the second pandemic to have enough people die blaming the first pandemic so you can sell vaccines from the first pandemic because you don't want to sell vaccines for the second pandemic because you want to keep that one going to kill enough people yeah, to scare people into buying yeah. the vaccine for the first pandemic. So it's, it's really right. twisted. You've got to be a total psychopath to, to come up with this plan. Well, so let's get Dr. back to Dr. Fashi. <laughs> right. So Dr. We Fauci is speaking. Time. So it, it, yes. is, you're absolutely right. He's speaking at an event in October of 2019. So this is right after event 201, which, by the way, was only three hours. Event 201 is not as big a deal as everybody thinks it is. There have been bigger simulations. They do a simulation every year. Mm-hmm. The Quadex was a, a couple years before that. They, and some of them have lasted, you know, four days where everybody arrives on a Monday and they leave at the end of the day Thursday and get home, you know, but they're there all week. So event 201 is a three-hour session. To me, that's like, well, it's, that was more it's not as big thing. as the was, other event. That was how to, if that's you look right. at the, the agenda, was how to control well, the media. Alex Jones. Alex Jones talked about it. That's why it came up. Oh, Alex okay. Jones mentioned event 201 and then everybody's event 201. But it was only three hours. Clade mm-hmm. X was another simulation that lasted multiple days that was run by uh, Johns Hopkins. And mm-hmm. the way to look at it is you look at, well, how many of these pandemic simulations have we been doing over the course of the last 10 years? And what you find out is we do them every year. Johns Hopkins sponsors them. 
Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation sponsors them. Michael Bloomberg, right? He's the, the money behind Johns Hopkins. He sponsors these things. So we've been doing these simulations for years. The reason ES, um, the Event two, uh, 201 thing became famous is because Alex Jones mentioned it. But it was only so three pandemic, hours. These are pandemic simulations or flu simulations or what kind of simulations are they? Pandemics. So uh, Event 201 was an influenza pandemic. Excuse me, uh, Clade X. Clade X was an influenza pandemic. Um, they did another one recently, believe it or not, that was a monkey virus uh, simulation. Monkeypox. Monkeypox virus uh, simulation. That's mostly so they do the game in, though. That's, that's uh, the transmit monkeypox, if I remember. Through sexual activity? Well, that's what, that's, that's what we found out, you know, through, uh, you know, the practical observations, right? But early on right. when they did the simulation, I don't think it was a, you know, a gay man simulation. I think they just looked at monkey pox. It's not going to scare enough people. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. So, uh, mm-hmm. but again, they do these simulations regularly and to mm-hmm. become too focused on any one of them is a bit myopic. You need to look mm-hmm. at them in, in sort of a broad scope and say, well, no, they do these things kind of regularly. Mm-hmm. And then Bill Gates was speaking at an event called the Milken, uh, the Milken Institute something in October of 2000. Michael Milken? Talking, that yeah, guy? Yeah, 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 he, yeah, yeah. He sponsors an event, uh, and it was Wasn't about vaccine. <laughs> for insider trading. He served time. He served a lot of time for the Drexel Burnham thing with the junk oh, bombs okay. and all that. Yeah, but now he, he's, still, he's still wealthy and does a whole bunch of philanthropy. And uh, this thing that he sets up, this event in October of 2019, Dr. Fauci, is talking to the guy from um, the New Yorker magazine, and he's on the panel. There's a whole bunch of experts on stage. And Fauci's saying that people don't take influenza seriously. They just don't take it seriously. And then they start talking about how we make vaccines the same way we've been doing it for 50 to 75 years. We grow them in eggs. That's how we make vaccines. We grow them in chicken eggs, and it's kind of antiquated. And then they start talking about, well, if we had an event that could make people want to try these newer vaccines, and it's like, what are you guys, out of your minds? What are you talking about here? And sure enough, this event happens 90 days later. Mm-hmm. So it's very creepy. And it's on YouTube. Well, there's, a of, there's a lot of creepy. Yeah, you can hear the TED Talk. Hold this up on did YouTube. You, and, uh, yeah. Which TED did Talk? You ever which hear one? The, the, did you hear the TED Talk by the, the head doctor of Moderna? Says we have hacked the software of life back in 2017. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He said, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be amazing if -hmm. we could use mRNA as a medicine? And that was just a handful of years ago that uh, Stefan Bansell speaking at. Oh, yeah. I've I've highlighted that footage in a couple of the videos that I've published. Have you looked into something that I think I'm the only one that's pointed this out, the difference between the 2007 interim pandemic uh, guidelines and the 2017 ones 10 years later? Yes. Yeah. So they've changed the pandemic guidelines. Uh, as, as, so they've changed both pandemic guidelines and they changed the definitions of vaccines. Uh-huh. So when you talk about both, both of those vectors changing over the course of the last 10 or 12 years, mm-hmm. uh, that's also discomforting because it's not just one vector, it's two. They mm-hmm. changed the definition of the pandemic, mm-hmm. and they changed the definition of what a vaccine is. And herd immunity. 
<laughs> they changed that one too. Well, and herd, quite frankly, I, I don't like that term herd immunity. Herd immunity to me uh, is yeah. what you talk about when you're talking about cattle. <clears throat> the scientific term is depletion of susceptibles. Depletion oh, of susceptibles sense. means there's yeah. only three categories. It makes it real easy. Mm-hmm. There are people who are, are, may get infected but will be asymptomatic or are not infectable with a mm-hmm. given virus or pathogen, right? And right. Uh, for, for <clears throat> best I can tell, that's me. I don't think I've had COVID. I don't think I've had it. Okay. Um, and then there are people who are going to get COVID but will survive and therefore will have some degree of immunity after that's surviving me. their bout. Yeah. Okay. And then there's the yeah. third group. And those, tragically, those are the people who die of COVID. Right. So the people who die of COVID, they're not going to get it again. The people who had COVID and recovered have some immunity to future strains of the SARS-CoV-2 thing, right? And then mm-hmm. there's people who are not susceptible to the disease. That's it. Those are your only three categories. And eventually... The people who are going to die, die. And the people who are going to get better, get better. And the people who are impervious are still impervious. And that's called depletion of susceptibles. The disease runs out of people. It can kill. Uh, Maybe it will continue to infect people in a mutated version, but if it's not deadly, isn't that happened in 1918 with the H1N1. It just takes storage. You're, you're breaking up a little bit notice. again here. Yeah, you're just starting to break right. up a little bit again. Let's go back to H1N1 because <clears throat> that's critical for people to understand that. Okay. All right. So the H1N1 from 1918, at the end of the pandemic, it just kind of dissipated, right? We didn't have vaccines. We didn't have therapeutic treatments. We had leeches. We had leeches. We had bloodletting. That late? I thought that stuff was done a couple hundred years ago. I didn't think it was done that, that recently. Oh, yeah. 1918? Oh, oh yeah, baby. Really? We're going to just train you. Huh. That's bad. It's bad blood. And we've got some leeches. I'll put some leeches on you. And I don't know they're getting the bad whiskey. blood. How do they sell? How do they oh, separate well. the bad blood from the good blood? I mean, this is such a stupid theory. The, the, bad, the bad blood comes out of here. You know, they they knew what they were doing. It was it was very scientific <laughs> back then. A lot like masking now. A lot yeah, like the yeah. masks. <clears throat> and they would use whiskey. So between the bloodletting, the leeches, and the whiskey, it's remarkable that 200 million people didn't die back then. So yeah, yeah. anemic the drugs is, is what you've got. Exactly, but, but which is a great. That's that's a good name for a band. We we should talk about that, the anemic drugs. <laughs> okay. But what you ended up with was a virus that dissipated. It achieves yeah. depletion of susceptibles. The people who are going to die, die. The people who are going to get better, get better. And the people who aren't going to be impacted by it, that continues. They're going to build immunity. Yeah. And it went away. Yeah. It went away. Yeah. And we didn't have it. We didn't have a Pfizer. There was no Moderna in 1918. And it went away. So why won't this one similarly just go away? What makes everybody think this is now going to be endemic if SARS-CoV-1 wasn't and MERS wasn't? Why the hell is this one going to be? Well, is there a good you know reason that chart for that? I, 
you know the chart that I <clears throat> keep dragging out, the one from June of uh, 2020 that shows the COVID deaths yes. going to zero? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. June, granted, July, not all the death certificates are in. Yeah, it was, it was done by mid-July, which is a traditional uh, epidemic uh, pathway. It started in maybe January. Right. I mean, I think I had it end of December, beginning of January 2020. In fact, I got the shows to prove it. I sound like hell. <laughs> I sound really bad. Yeah. Uh, and so I can play those sometimes. If you want to hear my COVID shows, you know, I'll play one of them. I took two days off, rested, and I was fine. I was working, at the t- working full-time and doing the radio full-time. I was working, you know, like 100 hours a week. It was crazy. Of course I got sick. <laughs> You know, I had no immune system. And I got a really good one because I was a tour guide in San Francisco. I've met people from all around the world on a regular basis. So you were susceptible. Yeah, because I was. At the time, you were susceptible. Yep. Right. Now, how susceptible are you to the disease at this point? You have natural immunity, right? Because Mm -hmm. you've had it before. And you survived the first time. Now, unless this new variant is some sort of highly pathogenic thing that's just a killer variant. Mm-hmm. Now, again, the question is, well, when, when has that ever happened? Have we ever been two and a half years into a pandemic before? And mm-hmm. I'm talking about in the modern era. I'm not talking about the Middle Ages with, you know, plagues and whatever. Back then, they put the leeches between your toes, right? So that was even <laughs> more special. So, <clears throat> but... In the modern era, have we ever had a pandemic that two and a half years in, all of a sudden it took a turn for the worse and became more pathogenic? When the hell has that happened? That hasn't happened. I haven't seen that happen. When did it become more pathogenic two and a half years in? But two years into 1918, it achieved depletion of susceptibles with no pharmaceuticals. No mm-hmm. Pfizer, no Moderna, no Paxlovid, no Molnupiravir. Haven't heard a no word about Molnupiravir, have we? What yeah. happened to Molnupiravir? Why does nobody want to talk about that? So we don't yeah. hear a lot about that stuff. Uh, real quick, I know we have to wrap up. We're, we're at the, we actually have an hour of overtime. You know, here's the beauty of blog talk. I found this out uh, a few months ago that uh, the la- no, nobody can call in. It's, only, it's just you and me. But if people get okay. in before the, the – the, we have the third hour, but there's actually a fourth hour. I ran a show last week with Captain Tom Stewart. We went to like three hours and 55 minutes. We've got some well, I have another that. show. I have another show. I only scheduled an hour, so I, I have another show that I have to do. But let oh, me just different. give the audience a couple <clears> – <throat> let me give the audience a couple quick updates here. Right okay. now in the world, uh, Germany is leading the world in new cases for COVID. Mm. So right now something's hap- – yeah, so right now something's happening in Germany. Uh, yesterday, almost 80,000 new cases in Germany – uh, the day before that, 95,000 new cases. Something's going on in Germany that it's rearing its head. I'm are they all, are they all jabbed? Are they all jabbed over there? I, I think it's a pretty high. I think it's a pretty high percentage in Germany. Actually, okay. I think right. it's a pretty high number. Um, and then in Japan, Japan has had it for the last four weeks. More than 10 percent of the cases in Japan have been in the last four weeks. More than 10% of the deaths in Japan have been in the last four weeks. Meaning right now, they did. And yet now they're highly vaccinated in Japan. And Mm -hmm. lo and behold, what seems to be happening? (laughs) Uh, more, More people died in Japan now. I'll give you I'll be real specific here. More okay. people have died in Japan in 2022 
you know, it, it's spectacular. And and the recently they hit peak deaths in Japan back around August, so late August peak deaths in Japan. That's two and a half years into the pandemic. How did that happen in a society that's so highly vaccinated and so uh, compliant with you know rules and regulations? If they're told don't do this, wear that. That's what they do. They oh, don't yeah. argue in Japan. And they've been wearing masks so, for decades, you know, in, in public <clears throat> and in cities and things. Yeah. August 20th, they had over a quarter of a million cases in a single day in Japan. So this is just weeks back. And again, I, I'm at a loss to explain this phenomenon, but for the audience to understand what are the hot spots in the world right now, mm-hmm. the hot spots in the world right now are Germany, Japan, Taiwan, more cases right now in those three countries in the last couple of days than anywhere else on earth. So Germany, Japan, Taiwan, and France is kind <clears> of <throat> pulling up from behind. So let's keep an eye on, uh, on those Can countries. You, for next week, if, if you're interested, would you trace the, the vaccination rate with the death rate and see if you can find a similar sure. graph? Yeah. <clears throat> I have that. Yeah, I have the data, and I'll prepare that for next week. You bet. Yeah, I don't even have to dig okay. for it. I know where to find it. Ah, You're the best. best. In fact, what I'll do is I'll send Uh it to you. I'll send it to you an email so that you and I can look at the pictures and we'll describe to the audience what it is that you're seeing. And for you, it'll be like, wow, this is wild. So I'll Mm -hmm. do that for you. I'll send you like four or five of those before we do the show next week. Thank you for having me on this week. Oh, listen, yeah, thanks for doing the report. Thank you. you know, this is, this it's is a pleasure. Th- Thursdays are great now. So I'm really, you've, you've made Thursday. So thank you, sir. And, uh, you know, have fun on your other shows today. All right. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'll talk to you next week. Wonderful. Thank you, sir. Appreciate All right. it. Thanks again. Talk to you guys soon. Here we thanks. go. Bye-bye. And you can get uh, John Cullen on Twitter. Uh, he does, he publishes his graphs and pictures and everything else. It's just, it's amazing what he does. Anyway, I got a couple things to play for you. And then I will uh, be back tomorrow. Now, tomorrow's our early day. So tomorrow, I'm going to mute John's line here, so just in case. You know, let me see. Oh, there he goes. He's already dropped. Okay, good. Um, so tomorrow we're at 6 o'clock. We start off with Amber Kemper. Actually, she's not here tomorrow the, the, with the Constitution Report. It's college. You know how it goes. They get busy. Uh, and I think uh, Jim's out, too. So it's just Shirley, uh, Shirley Watchell with the D.C. Project, the Women and Guns Report, and Derek Park with the financial report. And we're going to go over this continuing resolution tomorrow. And John's going to have some great stuff for us next week. Seriously, he really is the best when it comes to data. And so I can ask him these questions and uh, he not only knows, you know, where to find the answers, but how to craft them. Uh, He makes graphs and he does all that stuff. So uh, I I am really blessed with some of the most amazing people on this show. So I'll play a couple things and uh, then I'll be back for a little closing. And I'll be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Central Time. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com.
Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. So you want to help us out? Be a sponsor to Action Radio. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio with Founding Moments, insights into our founding documents, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers here in Santa Rosa County, Florida. Santa Rosa Volunteers is available at their website, srv1776.com. That's srv1776.com. Federalist Paper Number 13 was written by Alexander Hamilton and published November 28th, 1787. It is titled, Advantage of the Union in Respect to Economy in Government. In the very first paragraph, he says, in part, As connected with the subject of revenue, we may, with propriety, consider that of economy. If the states are united under one government, there will be but one national civil list to support. So right from the very beginning, Hamilton characterizes the states as united under one government. This is outrageous. 
The whole foundation of the United States is that they are individual and independent states first, united only because they happen to be next to each other uh, on the same piece of continent. But in every other aspect, the states are as independent countries, except for a very few areas which are to be delegated to the federal government through the Constitution that the Federalists are allegedly trying to advocate. But you can see right here why there was so much objection to the Constitution from the Anti-Federalists who didn't mind the idea of the Constitution so much as long as the spirit of the Constitution matched the independence and self-governance of the states declared in the Articles of Confederation. It is apparent that the Federalists wanted to unite the states as subordinate and subservient parts of the whole United States, which are united not by, but under, a strong, national, top-down government. You can clearly see in this one sentence why the Anti-Federalists were so strongly opposed to the completely new status of the states under the Constitution as outlined in these papers by the Federalists. Then Hamilton says, the entire separation of the states into 13 unconnected sovereignties is a project too extravagant and too replete with danger to have many advocates. In other words, the United States as constituted is really too dangerous an idea because the states can't be trusted to be independent states. They have to be controlled by the national government lest they become a few factions and then in Hamilton's own words, dangerous. Dangerous to whom? He and his fellow Federalists of the self-appointed elite? <laughs> One could only assume so. Hamilton revives the often repeated theme that the states can't be trusted to remain independent and individual. They will, as all states have done in Europe, create various factions. Hamilton bases his arguments on this imaginary projection of how he thinks the states will group and makes that the reason the federal government must, must rule the states. He groups the 13 states like this. The ideas of men who speculate upon the dismemberment of the empire seem generally turned towards three confederacies, one consisting of the four northern, another of the four middle, and a third of the five southern states. He even defeats his own argument with the admission that this is speculation. And what is this talk of us being an empire? Hamilton says, no well-informed man will suppose that the affairs of such a confederacy can be properly regulated by a government less comprehensive in its organs or institutions than that which has been proposed by the convention. In other words, if you don't agree with him, you are an idiot because you aren't well-informed. Heard that theme from government all the time. In Hamilton's warped mind of pretty much imposing a British monarchy on the states, wrapped in flowery language, he describes the hierarchy under his constitution. He says, Civil power, properly organized and exerted, is capable of diffusing its force to a very great extent and can, in a manner, reproduce itself in every part of a great empire by a judicious arrangement of subordinate institutions. Or, to put this in modern English, we need a government big enough 
to be in every state and locality with enough agencies and departments to control everything. Unfortunately, he got his wish, and here we are. Eventually, Hamilton engages in the topic for which he titled his Federalist paper, The Economy. However, an analysis of the last paragraph will display an arrogance and a plan not to advance the economy for the benefit of all through free markets, where the federal government would standardize only what is necessary between the states to keep the free flow of goods and services moving, with things like consistent taxes, laws, and even train track widths. No, what Hamilton is really worried about is a free economy among the independent states where the feds don't get their share of revenue, taxes, or control. Hamilton concludes Federalist 13 with this. If, in addition to the consideration of a plurality of civil lists, we take into view the number of persons who must necessarily be employed to guard the inland communication between the different confederacies against illicit trade, and who, in time, will infallibly spring up out of the necessities of revenue, and if we also take into view the military establishments, which it has been shown would unavoidably, unavoidably result from the jealousies and conflicts of the several nations into which the states would be divided, we shall clearly discover that a separation would be not less injurious to the economy than to the tranquility, commerce, revenue, and liberty of every part. The source for the Federalist Papers is federalistpapers.org. The Anti-Federalist Papers are from selfeducatedamerican.com. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio with Founding Moments. Sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers. Their website is srv1776.com. That's srv1776.com. Please share this report to anyone who needs it. This has been an incredible day. Uh, it's nice to, to see that we, uh, we can all be as flexible um, to actually continue on. I mean, the world, I mean, you, you do 18 weeks of the world's greatest doctors panel and all of a sudden it goes away and you think, wow, this is, this is pretty interesting. This is pretty intense. Unfortunately, uh, John Cullen uh, is going to stay on and do the, uh, the global pandemic update and he knows the numbers. And so uh, he'll be working on some stuff next week and, you know, between my ideas and, and his numbers, we're going to cover some interesting ground and hopefully break some new ground. And then he'll be able to tweet that out and get that information out to everybody. So thank you for listening today. And please share the show. Please share our bills. Our legislative website is writeyourlaws.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. And you can get from there to our website here for the show, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. It's in the nice yellow print, which says to go to the podcast, which is really the live show. Uh, but we'll fix that. We'll fix that. I have... Uh, I have a, a new webmaster I'm looking at. And uh, so we've we got to make some new things uh, happen on the show. But other than that, uh, it's been fun. And let's do it again tomorrow at 6 a.m. Uh, Central Time. And I'll talk to you then. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws 
by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. Action Radio.